Hisashibori Jay here, welcoming everyone back to the Over Manga Cast. That time we woke up in a podcast and had to explain manga, our heated adventures over analyzing manga we find interesting. On this episode, we take a trek down memory lane reading Fruits Basket by Takuya Natsuki, chapters 1 through 18. Mom! everyone, Sam here. My experience with Fruits Basket as a franchise, this was actually, I think this might be the first manga I read. Because like I had watched anime before, I hadn't really gotten into the manga section of the hobby. And my first girlfriend loved Fruits Basket and she highly recommended it to me. And so I started, you know, purchasing it and reading it. I think I had like gotten up to as far as the translated releases in the West had gone. And I didn't know anything about finding fan scans back then. So I just kind of dropped off my radar after that. And this is the first time I'm revisiting it in over a decade. Jacob here. A friend of mine had actually recommended Fruits Basket to me a long time ago and she had the dvd set for the anime of it watched that absolutely loved it the anime goes to about i think maybe a third of the way through the entire series before it ends and only got a second season like last year i think trying to get my fruits basket fix i picked up the manga they're remarkably similar but they do have some noticeable differences and i just preferred the anime and it kind of fell off my radar as well not to say that i don't like the manga but it just wasn't as consumable i guess that was so long ago for me as well like i honestly hadn't even started like reading things closely the analytical one i hadn't really started doing that sort of thing with stories yet how about you matt so, uh, Fruits Basket, I think I watched the first episode of the anime at one point because I was just going around going like, oh, what's cool anime? Oh, this seems pretty popular. I got to the point where a tsunami crushed your tent and uh, I was just like, oh, this is some overdramatic nonsense. And then I stopped watching and now I'm, I've read it for this podcast. All right. How about you, Jay? So my experience, this was one of the first mangas that I experienced back in the day, I want to say I was still in elementary school. Like everyone else, I read out um, until it kind of dropped off the English translations. I picked up the anime a bit later because I'd already really enjoyed the series and at that time was really caught up in the whole, it's a general like shoujo slice of life type, type atmosphere. So I really enjoyed the manga and I was an easy um, switch over into the anime, really fell in love with the characters and I just have very fond memories. So I was really excited to read this for the pod. I think this means that Matt is the newest of all of us in this, though, I, I guess technically, uh, given how long it's been since Jake and I have read this. <laughs> I did binge watch and like rewatch the anime. So I, I feel like I came in with a decent understanding of characters. The thing for me is Fruits Basket is really, really funny. And it was kind of nice. It's been long enough that I forgot most of the jokes. So I got to experience that again. It, this manga is, as Matt said, very dramatic because we start off with our principal character living alone in a tent in the woods. That She's also an orphan. <laughs> Very important. A recent orphan. 
who has not gotten over the death of her parent recently. And who is propelled forward by making her dead mother proud of her. That is what propels her forward. Her name is Toru Honda, and she lives alone in the woods in a tent, ostensibly waiting to move into an actual house again when her grandfather's house can is finished being renovated. I, I still feel like there are multiple reasons why she could still have an actual roof over her head, but that's beside the point. <laughs> we can we can get into that later. <laughs> You know, since we're getting introduced to our main character, one important thing to understand about Toru, she's the type of person who will go through a blizzard and catch pneumonia to get you a Snickers bar because you mentioned in passing that you might be a little hungry right now. She is unhealthily self-sacrificing. Yeah. Yeah. When she's introducing herself to the audience, she thinks to herself, well, I can't go to one friend's house because she lives with five brothers. Can't go to the other friend's house because they have a really small space and they wouldn't be able to fit me. And she just decides that she'll live in a tent on her own and proceeds to not tell anybody this because she wouldn't want to bother them. Mm hmm. Yeah, there is a lot that that is her, the motivation for her character. But at some points, it's just like there are people willing to help you that you just aren't choosing to reach out to. And it kind of flip-flops between, like, her genuine selflessness, which is clearly supposed to be the point, and sometimes dips into, does she just not want to ask for help? Y yes. That's, that is a whole, that's what we're trying to embody here, is she does not ask for help. She's very independent and strong-willed, like her mother. Mm. Well, her mother was a Yakuza. Well, <laughs> the way I read it, I know more than what we read, but I don't know, like, the basically the back half of the story is blind to me. But it doesn't frame it like she's being smart about that. Like, she's not healthy. She's not okay. Like, she's not dealing with the grief that she's been going through. Yeah, we, we do get to points that that's kind of what I'm saying is, like, we... This is a very happy series where everyone is horribly broken. <laughs> and I, I think what you I, might going into this with like your typical view is like, oh, well, main character, she's got to be like flat bread. You can just put yourself into her shoes to experience these other people's stories. No, I think she's just as broken as everyone else. If I were looking at it through more naive eyes, she actually is supposed to be your first taste of how broken the series actually becomes. She is designed with the express purpose to aesthetically be that self-insert character. She's pretty, but she's very plain. And she has like all of like the typical nice person manga main character. But there's depth to her, which is something mm. that I really like about she, her. She's got that typical shoujo. Uh, she has to look really cute for the cover art. But yeah. everyone is going to say she's very plain looking. Thankfully for our dear Toru, she doesn't spend long, at least in the terms of us seeing it in the manga, she doesn't spend long living in the woods because she is stumbled upon quite randomly by the pretty boy at her school, Yuki Soma. She's on her way to school and she notices a house. And like, she's camping out in the woods. She hasn't really had time to look around. She notices these painted Zodiac figurines drying on the front porch. It's the home of one of her classmates. She stumbles in the front door, basically delirious from sickness, if I remember correctly. Uh... She, she is ill at the very least. She's weakened from living out in the woods. She's also the kind of dope that would just wander into a front door. Later on, they make a joke about how if someone tried to burgle the house, she'd probably let them in, give them tea, and ask them their life story. Which, <laughs> plausible. <laughs> it's frighteningly plausible. Yeah. 
I think that's the confusing. The first time she walks past and she meets Shigure, and then the second time is when she started to feel a little ill and was contemplating skipping school. And that's when she's discovered and they bring her in and say, hey, what are you doing in a freaking tent? On our land that we're not renting to anybody. <laughs> yeah, like several times they mention, that's odd. I'm, I'm pretty sure we haven't rented any land and we don't have any houses on the property. What? What? Why do you keep following me right up until my front door, basically? <laughs> <laughs> These questions are swiftly answered in Toru's magnificent head-empty-no-thoughts <laughs> way. She is an absolute delight of a character because she is so incredibly oblivious to many things that it just makes her very straightforward and earnest with everybody. And so she says, oh yeah, no, I live in the tent, you know, over there. I didn't realize this was somebody else's land. S sorry about that. And then she offers to pay them to rent the space. You know, another thing going to uh, Toru not being the type of person who is willing to ask for help, even to the point where it's honestly kind of stupid to. She has a bit of a proud streak, you know, taking the character holistically, like she shows a emotional awareness when she needs to. She's uh, so earnest. The way that she like refuses help, a worse written character would become infuriating. But I, I honestly think Toru really well manages because it's like, as the audience, you want to like whack her on the head and say, you idiot, these people are willing to help you just accept it. She genuinely feels like she's being an inconvenience and doesn't want to be in and those sorts of things. But there are there are a couple of cases where like the the offering to pay for the um, space where she has her tent that kind of comes off as a I don't want to be freeloader sort of thing. Like she's not just a blank slate that you're supposed to project yourself on. She does actually have something behind the eyes. Well, Behind the eyes, that might be a bit of an overstatement. Well, I mean, other, other than other than the whooshing wind, because uh, yeah, <laughs> those yeah. huge dinner plate eyes. <laughs> oh yeah, this was a blast from the past in many ways, particularly the art style, because you talk about them big old anime eyes. <laughs> oh boy, oh, it's so nineties. It's the design that you see parodied in um oh what's that webtoon? Uh, this is not a school romance comic. And like one of the main characters is a dude with a chin that extends out to a point like three feet away from him and eyes that are his face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do my best to avoid comparisons to the anime for reasons already stated. But one thing I will say is that a nice thing about the anime is the designs are a little bit less 90s shoujo. <laughs> there are some cases where it can be a little bit hard to tell some of the guys apart. <laughs> well, yeah. they're just supposed to be sexy, Jacob. I don't... I, yeah. Yeah, they're just placeholders, Jacob. They don't. This is a harem, so we need to just get that off of the table here. The main point is to set up the harem. We haven't even gotten to the main juxta of the harem, actually. We've gotten to, she's uh, in their house now. She's saying that she wants to obviously compensate them for being so nice, and they're like, no, it's totally fine. You're just, we don't want a random girl just dying on our property. Stay here. And she's like, well, I'll cook and clean for you and everything. They're like, that's great. Because as a house of men, we don't know how to do that. <laughs> I mean, Shigure is basically taking them out for takeout for like every meal. And they're like, uh, then why do they have so many dirty dishes? They reference that like early on. They're like, um, you should cook more. He's like, me cook. We have a I'm rice a novelist. cooker. <laughs> I love Shigure so much. And I got to tell you, a part of me feels a little bit seen because, you know, I look behind me and 
Yeah, I can understand how you can have a lot of dirty dishes even when you eat a lot of takeout. <laughs> Just say, Jacob, maybe you need to go find and see if there's a lonely orphan on your property. <laughs> anyway, anyway, disaster swiftly strikes because I'm pretty sure that like fate is conspiring to make Toru have to be around the Soma family because a landslide buries her tent and all her earthly possessions within. This is the point where she's like very obviously has a fever and, you know, swaying and stuff, all of her possessions, which it's like, you know, like that's like where her school uniform is, where all her school stuff is. And also where the picture of her mom is might as well mention in passing because it's about all the manga does either. Her father died when she was a knee high, like four ish. The mother passed away a matter of months ago. She does the typical thing of like speaking to the picture and father and her father's family are basically never mentioned. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it is at her mom's side that the grandpa is. Yeah, I was also concerned about that because I'm I, but no, I'm pretty sure it is. It is because he keeps mistaking Toru for uh Toru's entire life is now buried underneath several, several hundred pounds of earth and stone, which I think is a metaphor. I'm not <laughs> sure, but she is far too sickly to be able to do anything about it right now. Shiguri insists that she go back inside and get some sleep. And uh, our marvelous reverse harem hero, Yuki, is like, don't worry, I got this. And proceeds to begin digging, at least, but that's off screen. Oh, we such a weird panel, too, because it's him saying, I'll handle this. And then behind him is just a swarm of rats. Yeah, it's it's implied that with this curse, it's not only do they have enough, they aren't, they are able to transform into these animals. We'll address this later, obviously. Yeah, I was about to say, we haven't even talked about the curse. This is all implying the curse. I'm just I'm just speaking on on the um, screenshot because you can obviously see the swarm behind them. They also have an affinity to attract other members of the species to them. So like my interpretation is that he kind of called other mice and rats to help him dig everything out. I think it's pretty obvious they can talk to them because they have. They explicitly say they can talk to animals. Yeah. So um, it's also worth noting one thing that I didn't really notice. Um, like I, I really actually appreciated the manga a lot for because I really hadn't noticed it the first time I read it. Yuki is a kind of creepy and threatening character. He's not really a great person, generally speaking. He's very off-putting. But for Jacob, you don't understand. That's what makes him mysterious. And that's what I'm just worrying. saying, Jacob, these are these guys, if you take them out, they are an archetype of like, I know you don't know Otome games, but they are an archetype. You were supposed to pick a guy that you like. This is a I'm complimenting this though. Yuki isn't just like you know, typical heartthrob character. You you get the understanding, like from the way that he's framed and the expressions that he gives. He's cursed and he's not really, he's not just a pretty face. He's a monster, baby. Don't try to save him. <laughs> I'm, try I'm trying to compliment oh, the series, guys. Come on. The amount of times we have a scene with Yuki and Toro and it's the same like dialogue he's had a few times. Because it happens at least three times in what we read where it's just like, you don't understand. My life is a curse. You'd never understand. Oh, my. And I'm like, I, I get this is shoujo and you're setting up these cool. He's being emotionally vulnerable scenes to you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> As a 10-year-old, this is like prime cinema. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I acknowledge I'm not the target market. <laughs> but yeah, Toru wakes up the next day, and uh, miraculously, all of her possessions have been retrieved from the dirt pile. Not cleaned, admittedly. You think these boys mice. can clean? Yeah, they're mice. What do you expect them to do? What does it Cinderella here? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it kind of is. No, it's reverse Cinderella, kind of. Our, our girl Toru is uh, very distraught on the fact that she has been, you know, living on this land without, you know, paying for rent or whatever. Blah, blah all this is happening. I, get, I think it's time to introduce the next character in this harem. Where he punches his way, way through a wall. He, he punches his way through the ceiling, literally. You know, he falls through the, through the bloody ceiling. <laughs> it is bloody. <laughs> <laughs> it's very bloody. It's your boy. <laughs> it, it's uh, Kiyosama. I love Kyo. <laughs> I'm going to just say it right now. I think he's uh, probably my favorite character. Just because <laughs> he is so freaking entertaining with how angry he is all the time about everything. So I, I think we did uh, skip a bit that's important for Kyo being introduced. Um, when uh, Toru um, first found the thing and found those little... Uh, statuettes of the uh, zodiac animals she had a conversation with shigure and basically she had said that um they told the story of the animals and how the 12 animals were invited to a banquet or the 13 animals were invited to a banquet but the rat told the cat that hey the banquet's actually tomorrow and the cat slept in and did not get to join the 12 animals in the zodiac banquet and then the cat doesn't get a year to which Toru's in her ever selfless self was just like, that's so sad. I want to be a year of the cat. The story when she is a wee young She mentions that in a flashback because she was originally told the story as little. And when she's looking over the the Zodiac. Uh, well, I mean, the, the flashback is her telling. Yeah, yeah, she yeah, she it, says that. It is very and, central to the story to the story in general because we're first introduced to these three characters as opposed to later on when we're introduced to the family at large and kind of understanding some of the tension between Yuki and Kyo. Tension is a um, mild word given <laughs> these two. <laughs> I think Shigure hate for it, yeah. Yeah, Shigure likens them to a bickering old couple but even that is not enough for how much these two scream at each other the thing about it is they're a bickering old couple after about two and a half volumes of toru mellowing them out before Mm -hmm. that it's instant immediate violence which is why the ceiling got crashed through because he has to fight yuki yeah he has to fight that damn mouse and kick his ass yeah, really interesting because a lot of this going back, it goes so much of this interaction, this tension goes back to that story because even if that's supposed to be myth and not true, it, a lot of it carries on to how they are viewed by their family and how they are treated when they grow up. I mean, obviously that that myth is repeated in popular culture and that myth is carried on to them having as the bearers of these curses. I gotta say, in like, kind of a world-building respect. And I, I don't know if the mangaka intended this, but from just a world-building aspect to it, I kind of like that the the characters of the various people cursed by the Zodiac 
are the way they act is as much informed by how people expect them to act based on their zodiac animal as it is you know what popular perception of that animal is like like keo is a cat he is the most sundere sundere to ever sundere he's standoffish he's angry he will scratch at you or in his case uh, unleash super cool kung fu moves if you bother him but that actually ties into what i mentioned about how uh uh yuki was framed as well because this kind of goes into how like rats are seen as well but like the rat from the zodiac story is a trickster he fools people he's he's deceitful and yuki is that way too yeah he he has elements of that and it's a really cool way of like blending you know the mythological aspect of it and do you just act the way people expect you to act it blurs that line and i think that's a interesting uh aspect of it we've kind of talked around it to this point but it's during this fight that we finally get like the main this isn't just your generic shoujo kind of thing it's got its own little hook because um toru tries to break up this fight and in the process accidentally hugs kyo she's known to be a klutz so you know that stereotype that main protag girl is oh she's ditzy and so klutzy and oops i just happened to yeah, she trips on a broken piece of wood and stumbles into him. Yeah. And then hugs him. Which is normally just an excuse for, ooh, physical contact between our love interests. But in this, it's, oh no, you've triggered the ancient curse. And in an explosion of smoke, suddenly he am become cat. <laughs> he, he is a tiny, orange-furred, very angry feline. <laughs> He's so mad. <laughs> I believe it's this is the scene where she then continues to uh, main character of a harem manga, cluts into physical contact with each of the prospective suitors, and all of them turn into dogs. <laughs> or, oh, oh, I'm sorry, dog and a rat. Freaking out because she's like, "Oh no, where did he go?" And then starts randomly bumping into quote unquote everyone. Than that, it's worse than that because I have the page open right now. A piece of wood falls out of the ceiling, clonks her in the head, and she stumbles. And like it's. It's even more forced. <laughs> I mean, but it's like the comedic timing of it. This is this is like the last comparison I'm going to try to make to the anime. But the one big difference between the anime and the manga, the anime has more jokes. It's funnier. But like, oh, my God, the comedic timing of they all transform into animals. They uh, the doorbell rings and Toru just runs holding a cat, a dog and a rat. They're animals. Uh, yes, they are. <laughs> Those are definitely animals. Chris. You have a lot of <laughs> <No>. pets. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. And the one big problem and the reason why I kind of fell off of the manga, there are a lot less jokes in the manga than there are in the anime. And I kind of wish I, I prefer Fruits Basket when it's being funny and lighthearted rather than when it tries to be serious. Not that it's bad at that. I just think the anime balanced it better. Yeah, I, I think just reading what we read, I'm I don't think I ever thought Fruits Basket was a comedy. <laughs> I think it had jokes, but that has a lot to do with me starting with the anime. They broke up the serious scenes, I think, in a very uh, well-crafted way with more jokes. If shoujo isn't really your thing, but you want to try getting into Fruits Basket, I do recommend the anime over the manga, but that's another matter entirely. We are explained the 
Curse of the Zodiac. This might just be the time between the last time I read this manga and now, but I don't remember it being described as them being possessed by the spirits. It could just be me, though. I always thought it was... They're uh, just generically cursed. Yeah, the manga does make a point of saying that they are possessed by the vengeful spirits of each of the animals. And that's really all it says for a long period of time. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just like the difference between the... Probably they think... I, I can see how they would have cleaned that up for the anime, though, because how do you tell, like, small children these people are possessed by the spirits of animals um, versus, oh, generically, they happen to have a light but inconvenient curse, you know, kind of thing on them. That is a pretty consistent problem with Fruits Basket, because when it tries to be serious, the way they initially presented it, it seems like a mild inconvenience, <laughs> yet they're talking like it's this horrible death Oh, the man. amount of times we see like a character with like the half shadow over their eyes going like, you don't understand my curse. And all we've seen so far is you turn into an animal for maybe 30 seconds <laughs> is what it feels like <laughs> when you get hugged by a person of the opposite sex. And like that seems like a fairly easy circumstance to avoid. And the biggest, whoa, wacky harem shenanigans aspect of it is when they transform, their clothes don't transform with them. So they are in an animal shape and therefore out of their clothes. And then when they and then when they transform back, they aren't in their clothes. Oh, my gosh. All these naked men. <laughs> the amount of blush turnaway scenes from Toru of like, oh, naked boys. It is. It's great. <laughs> yep there you go <laughs> there's a there's a lot of fan service in this in case it wasn't obvious from the genre being harem hey i can't have this i mean this is what con this is what continued my love of manga and anime so i mean i'm not gonna bash it we're not knocking it if you're into bishis this is the manga for you i i would be the world's biggest hypocrite if i said oh no a harem manga can't have fan service in it no that's the point of it existing like yeah. the amount of times a character will just be talking and you'll get their shirt just coming up for some reason so you can get an ab shot <laughs> is ridiculous like they're just having a normal con i now understand how women feel reading other things like why is this focused on her cleavage? She's talking. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> I understand now. They all need a better tailor. Their shirts are all too small. Yeah. yeah. The amount of times we get like the wind ripple is hilarious. Like, or the panty mm. shot. Keo gets it all the time. Like, oh, well, I guess I'm accidentally showing off. My we now have the main conceit of the story. Time to establish the stakes. It's during the uh, next day at school. And oh, by the way, Keo is now transferred into the same school as them. It basically happens off screen. <laughs> The, the best part about that is um, when they walk to school together, the um, girls threatening to kill Toru. Because she's hanging out with Yuki now. And he's Prince, he's Prince Yuki. Yeah. He is gorgeous, but yet unattainable. So how dare this, how dare this try to, like, you know, move up in our gang? Who does she think she is? The random NPC female like background characters are so consistently mean and nasty in this. We need them stakes, don't you know? It's at school that we learn that um, the supernatural powers do not just extend to the ability to shapeshift into an animal and maybe sort of control or attract that 
the corresponding animal, but one among them has the power to suppress memories. And in the need to keep this curse a secret, this power has been used before, and it might happen to you yet, Toru. They they, they really play up how like spooky it is, and I I completely buy how I, I buy the characters are afraid of things, but the problem is so often they build up spooky to then like immediately lighthearted it like from an audience perspective you're not really feeling that dread that is a pretty big problem that i think is why fruits basket is better when it's not trying to be serious it tries to do stakes and it does succeed in some cases and we'll get to it but they do they do indeed in what we read pay off the memory suppressing thing being a legitimately serious and traumatic event but there'll be cases where there'll be like these long scenes of of dramatic character shots and um hit drags sometimes so i'm not a hundred percent certain those long scenes of dramatic character shots are supposed to make you feel tense or supposed to be like ooh, look at all these different pretty angles of the boys ah well there there is also that i i think that's what a lot of it is <laughs> Like, you get a lot of Toru alone with a guy sitting on, like, a roof. She does a lot. <laughs> well, Kyo's a cat. He's on the roof. That's fair. Yeah. And it's also the fact that it's a trope in a lot of, you know, slice of life. They meet up at school. They have lunch on the rooftop. And that's where they air their feelings, all the drama and stuff. I'm convinced now. The whole conceit of of uh, Fruits Basket, like, the, the reason it was created was that the mangaka wanted an excuse to have all those roof scenes. And it's like... Well, we'll make one of the characters a cat. The Zodiac. There we go. <laughs> Man, Fruits Basket, if all the characters just turned into cats. <laughs> <laughs> we could call it Cat Basket and do a lot better. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. Yeah, probably not. I, I don't think cats would enjoy being in the same basket together. That sounds like well, that's that. why they all hate each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And think of all the drama. But I know anyway. they could <laughs> sing songs to each other. <laughs> About no. being alone in the moonlight. Oh my gosh. Shush. We're moving on. Yes, the the danger is that uh, Akito, the head of the house, will demand Toru's mind be wiped. Until then, uh, Kyo is going to live in the house because we have to keep all the principal characters together. And uh, hopefully nothing will cause our precious cinnamon roll protag from getting her brain scrambled. Yeah, and this is where we hit she the point. can't afford another brain scrambling, no. She only has the one. <laughs> but um, no, we uh, we get to the point I, I had a bit of a question with that hopefully you guys could help me with. So um, Keo was what was established was he was in the mountains training in martial arts for four solid months in order to beat Yuki in combat. Yuki yeah. appeared to do no training at all, but still is always infinitely better at Keo and no matter what he does. Is this because Keo is just bad at things? No, the very heavy implication is that it's the curse is sabotaging Kyo. You have to buy into the fact that it's the Zodiac, which is calling the shots and everything like that. And they live within the Zodiac. It very much influences not only them as individuals, but the whole universe that they operate in. Yeah. And the mouth and the rat beats the cat in the legend. So naturally, yep. the cat can never beat the rat in the incarnations. Yep. Just accept your role your role your slot in life i will say one of the things that i raised an eyebrow at and it is 
it had always been something about Fruits Basket that I always found kind of weird, but I did notice that they actually did make note of it um, in our reading that I had never caught that before. It's weird that Yuki likes martial arts at all. In fact, he doesn't seem to like martial arts, mm -hmm. and yet he's... Because like, it's like, the curse is heavily implied to be what's sabotaging Kyo, not him being bad. But Yuki is also a legitimately good martial artist, too. Why does he care? It's one of those story conceits that I like it because it's a good show-don't-tell moment of showing how Yuki has, like, this supernatural ability to just be better at Kyo than any at anything that they both do. They wanted action scenes to break up all the talking, but there was one moment, I don't even remember where it was, but they do actually have um, Toru mention to Yuki, you must like martial arts if you're so good at it too, and Yuki has a moment of, like, yeah, why do I know martial arts? There's this image that's implied to be um, memory wiping potentially having happened to uh, Yuki as well. And I I hadn't noticed that in Fruits Basket until this current reading. Hmm. Okay, good. I'm glad I had that cleared up. So it it, it seems like if I'm going to take like an educated guess, knowing nothing more than what we read, I'd wager it's something to do with the fact that the rat is the first in the Zodiac. The curse is making it so that he is always the best. The rat always beats the cat in particular. Speaking of the curse, we get a new character. Another member of the Zodiac and our first female member of the Zodiac that we're introduced to. So they can hug. Kagura. Yep. Incorrigible Kagura. <laughs> she is. So I, I, I think I can. She is a something. Yeah, I can save us some time here. Um, basically, she's really into Kyo and they destroy the house fighting because her whole thing is she accidentally breaks things when she gets too overexcited. There, we don't have to talk about this chapter that much anymore. <laughs> uh, but I also love the little tidbits that we learned that she's like, well, I have to be next to Kyo because we're engaged. We're supposed to be married. Then he like brings out the fact that she basically beat him into submission every time. Your threat of death, you will, you will do this. <laughs> what, what we do get brought up is like a, a, what seems to be a running gag going forward is um, when they introduce a member of the Zodiac, they don't tell you what animal they are. And the thing is, oh, Toru, are you going to guess? And she's like, yeah, I love guessing. And then Toru is always just like, can't you tell? You should just know. It's and, and here's the thing. <laughs> I think they always do this on purpose, but they always make a character seem like they should be a different animal because they always end up being an animal that is not the obvious one you should suspect. Yeah, because like when Kagura first appears, she's, you know, ultra shy girl. And she and she acts, quite honestly, a little younger than she really is. She's actually two years older than everyone. Oh, was she older? I thought she was the same age. Yeah, she's two years older. And then, you know, as soon as she sees Keo, she activates boar mode and begins kicking down walls. Yeah, as as someone whose family actually raised uh, wild boars at one point, which was a horrible mistake and I wouldn't recommend to my worst enemy. Um, yeah, the, the violent side of her is, is pretty accurate to boar. Mm -hmm. See, I assumed they were going with Ox because the the size of the holes she was punching in the house were, like, larger than her. I thought... Or get big. Um, I know that in the manga she's portrayed as, you know, being tiny, but, I mean, boar, wild boar get big. And they have huge tusks. So, I mean, I could totally see the large holes being bored into that. No pun intended. 
Yeah, it could also be sort of the thing of you don't think of pigs as dangerous and then you encounter a boar and you're like, oh, oh, no, I'm in danger. Well, yep. OK, I'm realizing maybe I'm just bad at guessing animals and they're all very obvious then moving forward. So I'm going to retract my statement because uh, <laughs> I never I never managed to uh, figure out the animals either as they were presenting them. But it's also not really built as a mystery to figure out the animals. So you're sort of just along the ride with Toru. And there there's also a running joke of the person transforms and then Toru's like, oh, now I know who they are. Yes, because you have been told by them turning into an animal. And she keeps talking as if, oh, yes, all these traits that they displayed make it so very obvious. Yes, you have realized by them. You know what? Never mind. Let her have the moment. <laughs> She's so proud of herself and they don't want to take it away from her. She, she doesn't. She doesn't get to feel clever very often. Let her have it. <laughs> anyway, so she has been going around with this wild antics for about four months, I think, when her grandfather's house is done being constructed, correct? Uh, yes. Yes. The reason the renovations had been happening was to make enough space. It's so weird because what what I'll just skim through what happens is um, she goes to go live with uh, her grandfather and everyone's sad. We get some she's leaving us forever vibes. She goes there. Within seconds of being there, uh, the two new people who have moved in who are, I guess they must be her aunt and uncle, just assumedly, do nothing but rag on her. They make Toru feel very unwelcome. So it is all the more appropriate that once again, the fates seem to align to bring her into the Soma family and also beginning the trend of Yuki and Kyo working together to <laughs> kidnap her. Basically, they kidnap her because they break into the house, take her with them in a really cool action shot of, no, she's coming with us. She's our family now. Don't you dare refer to her so familiarly, you trash, <laughs> is basically what Yuki says to one of her family members. <laughs> it's it's so weird because <laughs> this entire like plot line of the grandfather if you were just gonna have her live permanently with the soma family you could have just not had a grandpa for her to stay with you could have just had her yeah you could have just had her grandfather unfortunately have to kick her out of the, like you were already going super sad on her backstory just it feels well, like an unnecessary little runaround because it it only like there's no real estate from that in the story is what i'm trying to get across if I'm, I could be misremembering, but I think we dive back into her mother's backstory a little bit more in later episodes. I like the grandpa because, like, he recognizes that it's like these two are my family and I love them genuinely. But, yeah, they're being assholes to you and you're exactly right for being angry with them. You don't have to stay here if you don't want. And that's when uh, Yuki and Kyo come in. There's a very obviously strong undercurrent of uh, found family because the Somas all loathe each other and they're all blood related. Whereas Toru comes in and she's able to form a bond with all these people. And through that, they form bonds with each other. Family is a thing that you should choose that, you know, it's important to care about your relatives, you know, like your actual literal relatives. But like the the attachments that you form with people is really what's important and and you know, what will uh, bring you happiness in your life. The theme is pretty obvious, but pretty well executed in that regard. I guess there's no need for any sort of like greater um, detail to be delved into with this. Yeah. Um, 
that that plot pretty much is just leading up to the kidnap scene is what happens <laughs> in that chapter like is it a kidnapping if the person wants to go back it's a it's a kidnapping when multiple people in universe call it a kidnapping correctly <laughs> speaking yes it's a kidnapping but we're not going to report it so it doesn't count <laughs> yeah i mean, sure. I mean like, literally that is what it comes down to behind the scenes i'm sure she would have contacted her grandpa later and said hey i'm gonna stay here everything's good going back to the way like there's no police report going to be filed or anything like that the aunt and uncle they don't really want her to be there anyway so they're not going to really make a fuss about it I mean, she does keep in contact with her grandfather behind this off panel, I guess, because yeah. we, we do get informed that she's still talking to him. But um, as long as we're delving into things that are weird, if you think about them too deeply, um, can we bring up the fact that uh, Shigeru... Uh, Shigure. 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 Gotcha. No. <laughs> no. No, uh, Shigure um, brings up that the forest around the family estate they live in uh, are notorious for having perverts wander around them. Yeah. Why? So it has to be walked, you know. See, that's the thing. I don't really trust anything Shigure says. So here's the thing. I don't either. But we get confirmed from other characters later on that, yes, there are perverts yeah. in the forest. So yeah. these are just magical pervert forest, I guess, as a defense <laughs> mechanism. Like, this is the universe we're in. <laughs> It's also kind of weird that these perverts are out there. Like, are there also a lot of vulnerable people? Like, do do people just wander into the woods? That's what I'm saying. It's a private forest. There's no one out there to pervert. Yeah. <laughs> but all the perverts are drawn to the forest for some reason. I, don't I, just, know I just thought that was a really funny. Because when, <laughs> when Shigeru brings it up initially, you think he's just being skeezy. It's when it comes up the second time. Well, brought up by Yuki and Kyo. You can read that as Yuki and or Kyo being overprotective, but like this is this is very nineties. This is very nineties manga. Now that she has a permanent home with the Somas in their uh, little offshoot family, uh, she does decide to come clean to her school friends that she'd been living in a tent. And oh my god, the the delight that is Uo and Hana. I love these two so much. So which one is creepy goth girl? Because she is my that's, favorite. That's Hana. Oh, Hana? Yeah, Hana's the best. With her poisonous electromagnetic waves, whatever the hell those are. Panel that's my favorite is I'm going to beep you with my electromagnetic waves. And I'm like, she can just say kill. What is she censoring? <laughs> <laughs> Hana is the queen of vibe checking and I love her. <laughs> Like she literally great. checks your vibes. My my favorite part about Hana is um this actually happens in the first chapter. Toru and her um Yakuza friend, we find out later is her gimmick. Yeah, specifically Yankee. It's not quite it's not quite as extreme as her mom. Gotcha. But um so basically, while they're just talking in class, not paying attention at all, it's home economics. The teacher comes over to yell at them. Meanwhile, Hana has done the assignment for all three of them. What, mm -hmm. uh, wait, which one of them? I thought Toru did it. No, Hana did. Oh, was it? Because Toru and um, that girl are talking. Hana's not never in the center of a panel. She's always off to the side being creepy. Yeah, it's uh, great. Uh, who do you think you're fooling? Honda-san made those for you. 
Oh, is that? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I, maybe I misread the scene. I see. I I thought you might have been right because she was talking to Uo, but um, this is because this is in this is in the first chapter. This is like one of the first scenes, and it's it's establishing Toru's homemaking skills because again, nineties shoujo manga. Um, and is Hana the one who presents them to the teacher? Because maybe Hana presents them. Yes, Hana Hana does present them to the teacher like it's hers, whereas Uo is just like. Yeah, Toru made them for us. What are you gonna do about it? Because <laughs> well, now my favorite moment of Hana isn't real. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. She's got plenty. <laughs> She's got a lot of great yeah. moments. So. I'm gonna beep you with electromagnetic waves. Is pretty great. So. Yeah, it is. It is maybe the best moment. It is <laughs> censored in the manga. So in the anime. Yeah, oh yeah, it, <laughs> they, there's a sensor bleep over it, and it's like three full seconds. Yep. Look, look, Toru is such a pure and sweet cinnamon roll. Of course, her two best friends wake up and choose violence every day. <laughs> well, I feel like it's because they have to counterbalance, right? Like she's overly sweet, and they're whatever they are. <laughs> As creepy as her two friends are, they aren't threatening to kill people, so Yuki will give them the time of day, so maybe. <laughs> Those are the three normal girls people? in the school. Oh, normal. <laughs> you know, actually, when you put it that way... <laughs> they also didn't participate in the mass peer pressuring to make Yuki cross-dress. Yeah. yeah. The, the, uh, the normal people, you know, normal people who'd be considerate of other people's feelings and body language. The reason we brought up her friends are they're going to have a sleepover. And uh, Kyo and Yuki are like, why are we having girls over in our house when we are trying to hide the fact we're Zodiac animals? <laughs> because, because we need a sleepover with Toru's friends. And this is where Toru lives. Shenanigans ensue. <laughs> kind of. Not no, really, it's though. Actually, it's actually pretty tame, actually, for a sleepover. They play card games in the room with all of them, but that, really, yeah. really nothing else happened. Minimal contact, and then they break out into an argument, Kyo and Uo. They functionally have nearly identical personalities. It's just Uo can turn off the rage at will. Yeah, no, I, I ship those two. It's great. <laughs> you know what we do get during the sleepover, though? Um, Toru tells the girls the story of her first love yes yeah which um if i know anything about how harems work that first love is going to be one of the boys yeah oh. it's here in in the um outline it we kind of get this from Keo's perspective because he's like walking down the hall and you know the door is ajar and he hears them talking and oh what's this story and he listens in too young toru true to the continued cavalcade of tragedies that have happened in her life up to this point uh was very much bullied as a small child and a bunch of boys started chasing her and in the process she got very lost and so she hid in an alleyway somewhere in tokyo for a day and a night yep that sounds like her <laughs> But eventually she got so scared and lonely and hungry, she like wandered out of the alley, saw some random boy who his face was obscured by the baseball cap that he wore. He offered her some small kindness that and she tried to like, you know, go to thank him and he ran away and she kept chasing him. And eventually uh, this chase led all the way back to a familiar part of town, even near her home. And the boy gave her the hat and then ran away before she could get a good look at his face. How did he know where she lived? 
Yeah, I was about to say this. This kid knew her home. It's not where she lived. It's to the front door of her home. When you're enjoying it in the moment, it's well enough done. My problem with the senior twofold one is the obvious. Wait, how did he know where she lived? The other thing is they try to frame it to obscure the identity of who you know which of the as of yet introduced love interests is the you know the boy in the hat they intercut it between shots of yuki in his room doing his thing and kyo listening in and like the fact that kyo wasn't in at all kind of gives away the you know gives up the ghost but here's the thing jacob that's how you can have a twist that's because are, are you familiar with love hina at all i'm not it's the, I bring it up because it's also a harem and it has a similar plot contrivance where um the main character has a very vivid memory of meeting a girl and it's about him spending the day with this girl and like that's his first love so he's trying to reconnect with that but he can't remember her face and it's very clear to the audience it can only be one of the girls but throughout the entire manga they keep giving you like different hints about like wait maybe it is her or wait it can't be the main girl Oh, no. And like, that's the kind of juxtaposition to keep it going. Also, yeah. to answer your question about how he knew where she lived, cats can always find their way home. It's obviously one of the Soma family, because for some reason, the universe is just shoving her into all their business. And with the power of talking to animals in an urban setting, depending on which animal you got, you got a whole bunch of little spies. See Chainsaw Man episode. Boy, what a contrast between those two series. Yeah, Makima and the rats, and then Yuki. <laughs> I don't know. I think Hana would fit in very well with Chainsaw Man. <laughs> God, you're right, aren't you? The various cuts between the flashback and uh, Kyo's face basically all but scream in your ear that the boy in the baseball cap was Kyo. I mean, unless the tiger is Kyo's identical twin. Mm. See, you didn't think about that, did you, Sam? <laughs> I guess I didn't, but they are both felines. I do, I do win harem anime, so thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I will take my trophy. Um, also, uh, we cut to um, the next day. Uh, Toru goes to her job as a cleaning lady, and um, there she meets a little German boy. Yeah. Oh. He speaks in the language of the Deutschland and does not uh, speak a lick of Japanese, uh, at least not to Toru. And she... <laughs> Sorry, I don't I don't speak English. And it's like, no. <laughs> I am speaking German and I love snacks. That's how you know I'm German. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, boy, howdy, does he love snacks going in for a kiss on Toru? <laughs> oh, he's kissing her on the cheek as yeah. is a traditional greet. So that's yeah. something you can do in Germany. It's not really ubiquitous to them, though. It's supposed to be generic. He's European. He's foreigner. He's foreigner boy. Token foreigner boy. Good. I don't speak English either. <laughs> <laughs> Toru runs away because a weird pervert foreigner runs into Yuki, who is on his way to escort her home. Where Yuki also brings up, I thought I was going to take you home. You don't know how many perverts are out at night. And I'm like, this city has a problem. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it doesn't take long to meet a uh, German boy again because it's... Uh, Momiji? Yeah. Momiji. 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 Yeah. The school culture festival is coming up. And gotta get that. 
that's obligatory at this point. Yeah, can mm -hmm. we can we talk about how there was this string of chapters at the end of our reading that were all just basically like, here's a trope episode, here's a trope episode, here's a trope episode. Like, you gotta check those boxes, man. It it was four of them in a because I'll just summarize right here. We get school cultural festival leading straight into Valentine's Day, leading straight into oh, I'm sorry, leading straight into New Year's, leading straight mm -hmm. into Valentine's Day, leading straight into white day at the end of the school year at a hot spring the one excuse i'll give is that the new year's one is actually kind of important and like has uniquely fruits basket elements but this is very much it's checking the boxes also it feels like they were released month to month and like the story is progressing as they're being released <laughs> like because we yeah. skip months at points yeah i could see that and, you know, we have our standard Yuki versus Kyo drama as they're arguing over what the the gimmick of their class's booth should be. I, I think we really haven't done justice to the amount we've skimmed over how much of chapters are Yuki and Kyo fighting. Argument actually stems from the fact that they decided they're going to make rice balls for their for their booth. And mm. of course, um, they're talking about flavors and what type of uh, mystery flavor they're going to put inside. I think Yuki's idea is mystery flavors. Uh, Kyo's idea is to have a bloodbath. Yeah, Kyo's Kyo's idea is is uh, fight to the death for Onigiri. <laughs> no, you must stain your hands with blood if you wish to enjoy these rice balls. And he's surprised that everyone immediately rejects that idea. Look, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> You know what? You you and Keo are shockingly <laughs> similar. Yuki comes in and says, actually, why don't we just, you know, have a one for one deal? Buy one, get one deal. But it's a mystery flavor. Yes, yeah, a mystery flavor. Yeah, they, they reject Keo's idea for some reason. I can't imagine why. Because Yuki always has to win. <laughs> Even when yeah. Keo has objectively the better suggestion. Well, here's the thing. Toru has the best suggestion, but they like Yuki's dumb idea better because it's Yuki. Yeah. Because it will sell more and, you know, it's Yuki suggested it. And the fact that they also, as we'll bring into later, um, want to use him as their very creepy, weird class mascot. Yeah, yeah they have another advertising method that's unusual. It makes me feel bad, like really gross. Yeah, like retrospect. This... I probably if I were, you know, younger again, I'd probably be like, oh, it's so cute. I mean, why not? And but now looking back on them, like, oh, gosh, I, I, th I think just a 2020 mindset. Look at them just actively rejecting his gender identity to do the thing they prefer feels yeah. gross. Yeah, actually. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing, the manga doesn't really portray it as a joke either. He's very upset by this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh <laughs> yeah, the I've... uh the third year girls banded together and bought a a used dress. Yeah, and that's the other thing. It's upperclassmen on top of it. Like, it's mass peer pressure to force this man's to cross-dress. And while he is he is an effeminate bishi, he is not at all kosher with this business. He kind of goes along with it just because I he and he alludes to this early on, you know, why he envies Kyo is that Kyo can be himself and be loud and obnoxious and people still like him. Whereas Yuki feels like he has to kind of go out of himself to be liked. He has to go out to be nice. 
And so this is another instance of him going out of himself to be nice, despite the fact that it's very obvious that he's uncomfortable and perturbed by this. And it's just like no one's cluing into his very loud body language. I I mean, Mm -hmm. not loud, but it's very evident that he's uncomfortable by this. And no one even like says, hey, buddy, are you are you sure you want to do this? Nobody. No one just kind of runs with it. The only one who like notices is Toru, who in her eternal, you know, demureness is standing off the side like, oh, he's not having a great time with this. Do I do anything about it? Uh, yeah. yeah, that yeah. is kind of the problem. Toru doesn't do anything about it. Yeah, though. Toru's advice isn't great. <laughs> and honestly, speaking of things that I like Fruits Basket, this is honestly the more you look at it, one of the worst scenes in it. But like. There is one person who does fully understand the situation and can actually read uh, Yuki's body language, and that's Kyo. He just enjoys seeing Yuki suffer. That actually kind of goes to a bit of a through line of um, Yuki and Kyo actually know each other better than they know themselves. The title of the series, Fruits Basket, sort of important theme of the series is um, being an outsider and finding your way into the group because uh toru sees herself as the rice ball in a fruits basket she doesn't belong i was so mixed up that example that she provided the fact that they were told as it was like a elementary school like children mm-hmm. um class exercise and teacher says okay we're going to play fruits basket and everyone's going to be given a fruit a fruit name and we're all going to you know kind of collect and gather gather um, into like a, I don't know if it's a group exercise or, or what type of exercise it is. And one of the, I don't know if it's just one child, but they're supposed to assign each other, you know, fruit names. And whatever jerk who decided to give her the rice ball should have been called out immediately by the teacher because first of all, it's very obviously a bullying tactic. You're supposed to be calling people fruit. That's very obviously not a fruit. You're purposefully isolating this child. Yeah, it's rude as hell. I think we get told a few other times in um, Toru's flashbacks that the boys in general in her class all bullied her for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that had me mostly upset at the teachers because that was something like they're supposed to be observing it. I mean, whether they're right on top of it, but I mean, they should have been paying more attention to say, hey you need to actually give her a fruit name. She uses that uh, and takes that away as a metaphor. I believe this is actually right before this point where she's uh, saying this, because I I think she's making the rice balls for the stand when um, uh, she's having this conversation. And Uh, I I think it happens a little before because her reaction to having rice balls for the stand is like, oh, it's always rice balls with me. She mentions that um, I, I'm not weeb enough to know what the actual term for the thing on the back of a rice ball is. Umeboshi. Umeboshi. Plum for us gaijins. Because it's on the back of the rice ball, a rice ball can't see its own. Um, because the things that Yuki and Kyo envy in each other and hate each other over are, you know, parallel qualities. The two of them have become significantly less uh, antagonistic which means that each panel isn't them angrily staring at each other and Yuki punches one panel later. But uh, they're still they're still not on good terms by any means by this point. Mm-hmm. Yuki's in a dress is not happy about it. But damn, is it effective? <laughs> they sold out those onigiri. 
the thing is, I'm not sure how much the dress did, because we do get a scene of background characters going like, man, our rice balls sure are selling quickly. And then one of the side characters goes, well, we are Japanese. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's even Toru who says that. It's like they were going to buy rice balls anyway. <laughs> we uh, are reintroduced to a character we hadn't uh, properly met yet. Uh, Momiji arrives. Mm -hmm. And his handler. Matori. <laughs> yeah. Yes, everyone's a Shoma. That's a secret. If a character looks like they're not a background character, there's a 90% chance their last name is Soma. The other 10% is because they married into the family. It was Soma all the way down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Along with the beast shonens. It's basically food wars in here. It's Soma all the way down. <laughs> Always has been. I actually had it like pop into my head across a, a crossover episode and how terrible that would be. <laughs> Well, no, because they'd already be naked from turning into animals, so they'd have no clothes to lose from eating the delicious food. Oh, God. It would just be so confusing. You know what? We've had so many good ideas. The four of us should write a manga. We should. Yeah. It would be great. <laughs> and we have a solid mastery of all the tropes, so we would hit every box. It would be great. Oh, I've always said fans of things make the best versions of those things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't quote me on that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, getting back on track. <laughs> we just met yeah. those characters. <laughs> yeah, yes, we, 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 did. we properly met Mo, uh, Momiji, uh, the hyperactive child who we find a little bit later is not as young as he looks. He is half Japanese, half German. He is being attended to by the very much overworked Hitori. Poor, poor Hitori. <laughs> I feel so bad for this man. He basically comes out to the cultural festival to give Yuki a checkup because he refuses to go see him at his office. Yeah, because he is the family doctor, also part of the family. Who'd have guessed? They have, they have to. They have to have one of something. They're so insular that they're very much cold to outsiders. So I was going to use another I word. <laughs> What is our target market, Matthew? We can we can determine if we're going to use that word. I don't want to get demonetized. Oh, fair. This isn't <laughs> Vampire Night. Yeah, yeah, we're not. Such is life when the only person of the opposite sex that you can hug without turning into a furry is somebody who's also in your family cursed by your hereditary supernatural curse momiji's the rabbit by the way <laughs> we're just gonna skip to that because he jumps on toru's back to give her a hug and turns into rabbit yeah so i'm gonna bring up here i thought he was the monkey yeah i could see that yeah i did not get bunny from him at all but i don't know i'm you know, bad at guessing animals apparently <laughs> it's not a mystery series the hyperactivity and running around all over the place and Short attention span, I think, is supposed to be the clues. I don't even know if I had a guess by the time it was revealed when I uh, watched it. Really give you a lot of time. Like, he's introduced, goes, hey, you want to know what animal I am? You want to know what animal I am? Hug! The rest of the cast has to pull off a masterclass of deceit and deception in order to... Uh, distract all of the rest of the other people who have noticed this weird explosion and smoke and where's momiji he was so cute we were all paying attention to him why is there a rabbit here now oh. toru what'd you do with him toru why are you covered in boys clothes yeah that yeah. was uh that was probably the bigger thing yeah that uh -huh. was like everyone was concerned about the most did he just strip and wander off <laughs> 
by masterclass of deceit and deception, I mean, Yuki plays up the being in a dress thing. Yeah, this doesn't make this any better. <laughs> Yuki even internally has a thought balloon of how he does not want to do this. Mm-hmm. But he's lying to people to serve his own needs. And this is this is something that I really liked about the way that Yuki's character was portrayed uh, in the manga specifically. There are a lot less shots of him like being all like dark and gloomy by this point. Like he is literally lightened up because he's opened up to Toru so many times by this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually get more than one smile out of him per chapter. And every time he smiles, it's one of those full panel, you know, zoom in on the pretty boy's face oh my god yuki yuki gets more full panels than anything yeah he definitely is the the centerpiece of fan service for the ladies for the ladies (laughs) (laughs) we don't get to learn uh dr man's animal but we do have him giving toru a message saying uh you need to come to the main soma family complex i have something very important to talk to you about and this guy is just generally portrayed as creepy and vaguely threatening exuding a an aura of doom at all times which given his backstory makes sense well yeah because we haven't got into that um he specifically is the person who wiped the memories of yuki's childhood friends which i think we also might have skimmed over Basically, a girl hugged Yuki in school and he transformed in front of all of them and all their memories need to be wiped. And the person who did that was this creepy doctor. Oh, yeah. And he's blind in his left eye. Ironically, that is not very well visually conveyed. (laughs) He just has his bangs over his left eye a little. Yeah, I didn't notice that in this first scene. I only notice it when they talk about it in the flashback. Like, you know how he's blind in his left eye? No. I know there are other manga where that is a thing. But there's also an equal amount of manga where it's not a thing and it's just supposed to be like an edgy style thing. So I don't want to be mm-hmm. the person to assume that all guys who have like the swoop, the bang swoop ha- are blind in that eye. So I just didn't want to assume. The old Tokyo Pop copy that I have, um, the way Momiji phrases it, I think he's supposed to be introducing the idea to Toru and thus the audience that Hattori is blind in, uh, almost blind in his left eye. Because he, he says something to the effect of, did you know that? Like, I don't know if it was just the translation I had, but it's just kind of, I, just, I found that kind of invasive to just immediately say, hey, this dude's blind in his eye. Let me tell you why. This chapter doesn't respect boundaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm just, it's, I don't know. Moreover, Momiji <laughs> does definitely not respect boundaries at all. Uh-huh. He, Momiji's he's... pretty great, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I love Momiji. He is very funny. Toru is very explicitly instructed to not let Yuki and uh, Kyo know that she's going to the main complex because... Both of them would react badly to that. And Yuki had explicitly told her, Toru, never be alone with that man. I was going to mention, mm-hmm. yeah, the instant that she was told, never be alone with Hitori, she's called to the principal's office. She walks in and it's Hitori alone. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, how did he take over the school PA to do that? <laughs> He's a Soma, that's how. And then yeah. while alone with her at the office, invites her to be alone with him in a separate location. But then Momoji being the best character goes, yeah, and I will go with her too, because she is a mädchen. She would not want to be alone with a strange man. 
That's almost which, exactly what he says. Which is super weird because the word in German he uses to refer to her is like for little girls. Like that's not how you would refer to a high school girl. Mm-hmm. He like this is he's like talking about someone who appears younger than he does. Like make no mistake, dear listeners, Momiji looks to be like ten. But we have the next chapter. Toru has disappeared from the house, and well, really only Kyo's incensed about this. She delivered her excuse off camera to uh, Shigure and Yuki. And they were like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. As she said, she was going to visit a friend. And Kyo was like, where did she go? Did you not pay attention when she said she was going to a friend's house? No, I didn't. <laughs> Shut the f*** up, rat. You know, talking about how dark this manga gets, as Jay has alluded to many times with her more extensive knowledge, the Soma complex is very fridge horror. Fridge horror. <laughs> I mean, it's already weird enough that they have their own like estate, which judging by the d- ways that Toru describes it, is like an entire district of Tokyo. I don't think that much. They they have I think she gets told their family in total is like 150 people, of which 100 are kept on the outside. There are 50 on the inside. That whole group is in like a walled off estate though, is the weird part. Yes, they're essentially a cult because they are. (laughs) Yeah, really. And the people on the outside live in homes that are occluded by very carefully maintained trees that form a a street that is like a grove blocking these houses visually. It is. It's very cultish. Yes, you're right. As as much as I was saying before that I don't think Fruits Basket is at its best when it's serious. The whole the whole stuff when they're revealing Hattori and what his deal is, is just so well done. It really makes it feel like a curse for the first time, honestly. No, yeah, like everything involving the family and Hattori's backstory, I think, are like really good, like dark storytelling. It's every other time it comes up, it feels kind of melodrama. But uh, Toru arrives at the estate uh, Momiji is there to greet her, having hopped up on a wall because he's a rabbit. Hattori is trying to convince Toru to get away from the family because he's concerned that she'll be hurt. And it's not something that I know as far as I know the series, if it ever actually gets paid off. But they keep trying to make Shigure threatening, and he's just not. <laughs> they keep on trying to allude to the fact that he has ulterior motives, which is revealed later on. Like, he's he's not he's not pure and lighthearted dog, as they assume he is. He's a dog. All men are dogs. <laughs> oh, men are dogs. His ulterior motive is he's horny. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, what was it when he was talking about one of the things he laments about the fact they can't touch the opposite sex? The way he describes it is that is the worst part of the curse. But to synthesize this, he is that guy. He is that older guy who's kind of like carefree and. Everyone assumes he's really easygoing, really easy to get along with, but he does have ulterior, perhaps reverted moments. And perhaps he's the one, since he's the one who mentions there are a lot of perverts in the forest, what immediately popped into my head is maybe he's one of them. Maybe that's why he went to live in the pervert forest. (laughs) (laughs) He's projecting. He's attracting them with his smut books. (laughs) 
That's why there's so many perverts. They're trying to find the source of the porn. <laughs> the pervert forest. I'm just saying, also the fact that he, spe he specifically mentioned as having left the family compound, so he had to go and find somewhere that was secluded. Now, Shigura, all adult members of the family are allowed to leave whenever we want. We just have some concerns. It appears you've decided to live in a pervert forest? <laughs> <laughs> let's not pretend that apparently it's widely known this is the pervert forest. So I know this had to get back to the family. So, I mean, we have two options here. Either this was already established to be a forest of perverts and he chose to live in the center of it, or it became a forest of perverts after he chose to live there. Neither of those are good looks. Yeah, the second one, one isn't necessarily correlated to the other, but I'm very concerned now. <laughs> but, but anyway, to regain the plot, Hitori does say to Toru, you know, you should leave. This family is cursed. We're all monsters, baby. There's no saving us. I'm going to egg her on more. You know she's going to be that. I can fix him. I mean, I think she wrong. equivalently says that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like we're joking about um, Shigure being a pervert. They don't really set up a relationship between like he's not really in the reverse harem Shigure specifically. Uh, um, he wants to be. He takes the role you normally see older characters in harems are. They're there for eye candy for the fans because we do get scenes where he's like, yeah, I decided to dress up in a suit and we get to Toru going like, oh, he's so handsome. He's but, constantly in a kimono that's falling open to reveal his chest. The stuff of him, you know, being, you know, creepy older pervert is played for a joke mostly. They do kind of set up the idea that there could potentially be a relationship between Toru and the like twice her age Hitori, which I'm not a big fan of. That's for another episode. But there is a dynamic, uh, dynamic in japan that does not translate well in the west where girls who are minors maybe like in high school older middle school are encouraged to seek older men but yeah that he's a doctor and he's got his life together <laughs> yeah so yeah there is a, a little bit of a push or a, it's possibly changing definitely with um the as things evolve, but there was definitely a thing in Japanese culture where they would try to encourage high school mm. girls to develop relationships with older, stable men because you know you'd want your 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 daughter to be with someone who is stable, you know, secure, yeah. rather than somebody who's like a young, um, teenage, you know, whatever. Yeah, and obviously Fruits Basket is like 15 years old at this point. So yeah. the world it was written in and also the world it was informed by are different than the Japan of today. And it actually also ties into how honestly disrespectful everyone was being to Yuki in the in the scene previous to this. Because even Toru treats it as a joke and her advice is generally man up. I, I want to say in her eternal, uh, you know, wanting to help everybody-ness, but I, I, I got to say... The the level to which the universe of the manga forces her to interact with all members of the Soma family. It is really seeing the author's hand. It is seeing the weave of fate before your eyes as she runs into each member of the Zodiac one after another. And she references it where she says it seems like they're just coming out of like coming out of nowhere. She's like, this one, too, is also related to the Soma family. The thing about that is whether or not it's entirely fate, because we do 
get a glimpse of a character when she's leaving the Soma compound. Is he a young man? It's hard to tell in this. <laughs> you, it, it is hard to tell. Yeah, he has to be younger younger than Hitori, but I have no idea how much. He's the son of a bitch. We he know is leaning much. out the window as um, Toru leaves, and she looks back and he's gone. And you kind of get the vibe that he's manipulating a lot of things, especially around Toru, because before we've seen his name get brought up, Akito as the head of the family, and he is the one who approved Toru's um, living with them. He is the one who ordered Kyo to live with Toru, uh, Shigura, and um, and Yuki. Yuki. And also transferring his school over. He's the one who pulled all the strings. And there apparently are heavy repercussions if you do not obey and fall in line. Despite the fact he is a very sickly individual. Including forcing you to mind wipe your girlfriend. Fiance. Yeah, they're going to get married. We'll get into that after New Year's because that's when that scene happens. But basically, the next main event is we find out the Somas are having their New Year's party, which is a big event for them, you know, because they're all possessed by Zodiac Spirit. We're introduced to that by uh, Kyo and Yuki saying, we're not going to that stupid party. And Shigeru's going like, guys, come on, we got to. And then Toru's just like, hey, at least you guys have family to spend time with. And it's yeah. super weird. It's like an entire tsunami of, like, guilt. <laughs> the yeah, fact like, she is guilting people into spending time with their families. I wish I had a family to spend time with. Oh, yeah. But I mean, like, from her, she generally means it. But at the same time, it's just like, wow, you're going to seriously pull that, pull that card? And it's just like, I feel like she generally means it because it's kind of like that thing of like, if I were in your shoes and we later on learn that, you know, she spent every New Year's with her mother. So she's like, I want you to have that. Ex like she probably half, more than half, generally wants people to spend as much time as possible with their families. Because she's like, I don't have that opportunity The main uh, Soma family was basically guilted into going to their big thing, but her both of her friends offered to spend time with her. And she said, no, you should spend time with your families who are alive. And say that it's because it sounds like she's wanting to hold true to her tradition because even Hana's the one who mentions that she always spent every New Year's with her. Like that mm -hmm. was her time with her mom. Mm -hmm. And it would be a disruption of that tradition for her to spend time with anyone else. It's a scene that sort of flew over my head when I was younger. But this scene was, to me, one of my favorites. Because what Toru is doing is so incredibly unhealthy. Yeah, this was the scene where I, I had been thinking Toru, like, being prideful and independent. I was flip-flopping between whether or not that was just regular shoujo pro tag or, like, something's dangerously unhealthy with her. And it was this actively pushing people away so she could self-isolate was I'm like, no, she's not doing well. <laughs> She needs she needs to see a shrink like she is not healthy. Hana has to point it out to Yuki and Kyo. Hana similarly has an ability as fate decrees to just show up at key points and say vague things that convince Yuki and Kyo to go and do the right thing by Toru. 
She's also a witch. There's <laughs> <laughs> also yeah. a great running gag we've kind of uh, run over with um, Hana is that she will make references to people being animals of the Soma family, but every time she mentions it, it's always a non sequitur. <laughs> Uh, she the, the first time she sees Shigure, she says, it's a dog. Reverse shot to there is a dog crawling in the window directly behind Shigure. <laughs> and then they're just like, ooh, yeah, that is indeed a dog. How did that get there? Seriously, how did that get there? What the hell? I had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> and then Yuki and Kyo are fighting, and she's like, cat and, like, um, what is it? My, cat and my, like a, like a cat, cat and mouse. mouse. Yeah. They're they're fighting like cats and cat cat and mouse. And oh, what's Yuch the name of that cartoon? Yeah, you chance like you mean Tom and Jerry? <laughs> yeah, that's it. But anyway, uh, so they are convinced by Hana, uh, Kyo, and Yuki um, that they don't want to go to this stupid banquet where the animal who represents the new year dances with the animal who represents the old year, mm -hmm. which. We get a lot of detail about this banquet for them not to go to it and for it not to be mentioned, but cool. Uh, I, I, I think it's a fairly decent bait and switch. Fair. Um, we get uh, Yuki and Kyo run back to break into the door after they're kind of convincing themselves they should have turned back anyway. It was Hana who finally said, you should do this. Yeah. And um, they bust open the door to see that uh, Toru had just sat herself down at the table and had started crying by herself. And that apparently was her plan for all of New Year's. Looking at it, looking at the picture of her mom. Yeah. Anyone out there listening, don't do that sort of thing that this scene without like spelling it out or anything is a really good example of, hey, you know, like like both for um, someone who's in Toru's position, if you're not okay be with people don't isolate yourself and alternatively if you know someone that you're concerned about you know don't necessarily you know kick in their door or anything well it's like, their uh, door <laughs> the message is clear if you are in a bad place and you need help reach out if you know someone who's in a bad place reach out is is this the one where we get a montage of um what a kind selfless person toru is is it this one or did she get this earlier? It's yeah. actually during um, Hana's explanation where there is the montage and she kind of mm -hmm. breaks them down one by one and kind of shows them. She seems like like she actually derives the utmost delight of helping people constantly. She seems the most selfless person constantly, but she then spins it to be like, do you ever think that maybe she's using it to kind of distract from her own feelings? And then they're yeah. like, aha. One of the things that we didn't really talk about at the um, sleepover scene was uh, Hana and you both say of Toru talking about her selflessness. I forget which one says it, but one of them says she will never ask for anything in return. And yeah, that sort of selflessness is beautiful in its own way. What a nice girl she is. It's also another form as we've alluded to many times of pushing away your own problems to deal with others and that's not solving your own yeah, problems you know you have needs too i mean funnily enough this is you know something that you know i've been dealing with lately you know like if if you know if you need something it's not wrong to <laughs> it's not wrong to like uh want for yourself and uh, mm -hmm. seek and accept help. It's not wrong to reach out to your support network of multiple people who care about you. 
Because she convinces herself she's just a burden to everyone in her life, which is an insane thing, considering we're, we are 10 chapters in at this point, and we have found no less than 10 people who love her enough to help her over nothing. The rational response is, this is ridiculous. But um, the way that her mother died was every day she would uh, tell her mom when she went off to school, come home safe. And she happened to sleep in the day that her mother got in a lethal car wreck. She doesn't get over this reflex. Like, this is still part of her character. I kind of hope that, you know, they keep with this through line and, you know, establish that this is something that she needs to work through. And I, I think it's a little worse than that, actually. Um, I think she's blaming herself. Oh, she very much is. Which is like a step down, which is why she's like, oh, I caused her to die. Mm. I don't want to be a burden on anyone else in my life to an insane. Like she she, she doesn't says, want to allow anyone else to fall through the cracks. You know, kind of how she views if I am not on my best, if I'm not performing to my best, if I take in this instance, if I take any time, you know, maybe she views that sleeping in as taking time for herself. You know, she obviously slept in because she needed the extra. Well, my mom always said that if you need, if you sleep in or if you sleep to a certain time, maybe you really did need the sleep. I mean, maybe she was so overworked that she really needed to oversleep a day. She probably needed to catch up on rest. And so maybe she's, you know, viewing this as, see, this is why I can't take time for myself. Because if I take time to myself... It throws off everyone else and then other people, horrible things will happen to them if I'm not, you know, sacrificing. Who boy, who boy, who boy, who boy. I want to get too real on the podcast, but I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. To a very personal level, I feel that. It, it's because she only has that severe moment to compare it to. Like maybe if something less severe happened, like maybe if she didn't say be safe and maybe her mom sprained her ankle, but you know, still came home, but just like, Oh, I had an accident today, but you know, it was because maybe because it was so traumatic that that one incident that she didn't do perform her routine took her mother from her. And while that's not really how the world works, it's very easy to fall into thinking that. A thing we kind of get in the background, because um, whenever she's at her job, it's always like at the end of a chapter or the beginning of one, like it's always a background thing. But the uh, co-workers she has are all older women, and they comment on the fact that since she's joined, they've barely had to do any work because she does so much. One of the things that was that Matt's mentioned a few times about how the fact that she has this network of people all around her who are so ready to help her. Like, they're all dealing with issues, too. And I, there, there's something really beautiful about Fruits Basket of, like, you know, this ray of sunshine comes up, comes into a screwed up family. And they all end up getting a little bit better for it. And, like, Toru, you know, deserves the the love and the life improvements, too. That's, that's a very, like, compelling scene that falls apart immediately once you're like, wait, what did they just do? <laughs> <laughs> is vulnerable to logic but the emotion is really there a lot and a lot of this and i think that's a great way to describe this manga it's a bit vulnerable to logic but man is the emotion there uh, <laughs> but um hey jay i know uh the next uh little bit of story segment is a personal favorite of yours do you want to bring us into the marathon personal favorite that's a way to characterize it uh, well, I, a certain character is a personal favorite. Yeah, the, the, the situation ahead is not a personal favorite. 
Um, I always hated PA. Um, but yeah, so it's gym day at um, school, so they're having to. I don't. I don't know if they if they call it a specific like mile runner or dash or whatever, but it turns into a race between Yuki and Kyo. Um, Yuki's Kyo little into a race. Kyo turns into a race. Let's be honest. Um, <laughs> Yuki wakes up feeling a little weak. Uh, yeah. a, little, a little little off we, and... we get the thing we get with yuki which is um we got told by hitori in the last arc that he has had like a bronchial infection since he was young which um culminates in now yuki gets sick a lot in the manga when he wasn't before he will get the i have a fever blush lines and he will say i'm not feeling well today mm-hmm his his delicate sensitivity. He is he is fitting a trope at points. Yeah, yeah. his suddenly delicate sensitivity uh, sensibilities. Wasn't delicate before, but I guess that's his character now. It kind of falls apart again when logic comes into her. When you realize uh, Toru's been with the family for about six months now. But yeah, so they're racing and cutscene to. Um... <laughs> Utaru just coming up against uh, uh, um um up to this really strange kid who seems to be sitting along the sidelines and she's just like um hey what what are you what are you doing you seem a little lost here and he's just like I'm I'm waiting for I'm waiting for someone she's like she was oh? concerned that it was an old man because he has white hair yeah there was also the the introduction that we like the cold open to the character that we get where it's this cool guy in a trench coat with uh with goggles and like all the girls are saying oh look at how handsome he is and he they, like, he's like a bar owner and he looks super like tough and edgy he looks like he it. goes clubbing <laughs> yeah. yeah and he puts on gloves dramatically puts on goggles dramatically little uh bell ring ring bicycle <laughs> pedals away and there is a great uh reaction panel of those women just looking dejected like oh no oh no he's not cool at all i think that's pretty cool it's all about swagger <laughs> guys don't give Look, it up. he has he has the confidence to pull that off if you don't respect that you don't know what cool is well exactly. see guys, guys you gotta realize this was early 90s uh cycling wasn't cool now we have pelotons <laughs> No, now we have Moomin Rider, and so cycling is the most heroic and noble thing you can do. So, back on the side of this track, um, we are introduced um, to Hatsuharu, um, and we know that he is waiting for someone along this track, and in hand he has this, looks like a rope, regular rope, and he pulls it taut and trips Kyo and Yuki. <laughs> But not Yuki. Yuki is able to stop in time because Kyo had finally pulled ahead. Uh Yay! I just got ahead! And Kyo's never allowed to win anything. Never! (laughs) I feel so bad for the boy. We also get a great panel of uh, Hatsuharu's Ballywoo activating as he turns the camera to go, don't try this in real life, kids. (laughs) You can seriously kill someone. He breaks the fourth wall several times! (laughs) I'm just saying, if you don't respect that swagger, I'm, I'll take him off your hands. 
<laughs> he do got swag. I'm not going to lie. And my favorite part is while he is uh, breaking the fourth wall, Kyo is just screaming in the background. I'm bleeding over here from what you did. Do you not care, asshole? <laughs> you could have killed me. And so the two of them immediately begin fighting. As is tradition. Mm-hmm. Kyo uh, tries to avoid it. It doesn't last long because it's Kyo. Immediately begin fighting is a bit of an exaggeration because Hatsuharu has to reveal his his uh, unique effect, which is uh, honestly kind of like Kagura's. Have you noticed that people who are linked to Kyo have a generally uh, generally low key, low energy side and then a incredibly violent smash everything side? Yeah. Yep. Because we have Kagura and uh, Haru are very similar, which is which is funny when you mentioned that you thought Kagura was the ox. Yeah, yeah. Hatsuharu, we have Black Haru and White Haru. White Haru is the more calm and low key one, the one that Toru first ran into, and then when he gets angry, he transforms into Black Haru. And the white and black is an allusion to Yin and Yang, by the way. Um, just because white, of course, is is linked to being more peaceful, calm, and the black side is used is has negative connotations, as we know, of being very volatile and violent and evil. So that's the reasoning between the black and white. I know that's been a a topic of debate of whether you should refer to things as being black spirited or white spirited. Yeah. Um, In all fairness, the the translation I had, uh, he just refers to his black half for a bit, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, things that didn't had, age well into 2020. I had to clear that up. It's like it's a it's a reference to Yin and Yang. Like when you have your, your see, people. maybe yeah, maybe I'm dumb, but I always thought it was because black and white splotches on a cow. I think that's what the joke is. <laughs> I, <laughs> the tie-in is that he's a black and white spotted cow, but that is an illusion in a lot of like. Not yeah. to generalize, but a lot of Asian cultures will say, oh, that's her black spirit or that's her white spirit. And this is her. Uh, yeah. yeah. So okay. essentially uh, how that gets revealed, by the way, is um, as uh, Yuki and uh, Toru are having a nice little back and forth, like side conversation as they watch these boys fight. Um, <laughs> yes, the boys were fighting and Yuki is uh, throughout all of this coughing at random intervals and then has a full-on asthma attack. Hatsuharu uh, notices this, uh, immediately stops the fight and walks over to uh, Toru and is just like, looks like I'm going to have to use my special power. Well, you're a girl. You'll do. And then hugs her and I'm like, oh man, what cool special spirit animal power does he have? And then he just turns into a cow so he can carry (laughs) Yuki on his back. Yeah, that's because he's, he's the, the ox. ox. And like, I, as Jake said, the white and black splotch is on a cow. I, I, okay, we, we shouldn't think about it too hard. <laughs> as, as, as alluded to earlier, this manga kind of breaks down when you think about it too hard. But um, uh, oxen and cows are not exactly the same thing. Bulls and cows are not the same thing. And bulls do not have the black and white. Wow. Well. Yeah. 
<laughs> if we want to add to the tally of Matt guesses animals wrong, uh, I thought he was going to be a tiger. No, mostly because he kept mentioning his black and white halves and uh, the tiger talisman and Jackie Chan adventures split you into your yin and yang. Your guesses, like they have logic to them, arguably more logic than we actually get. That's why this. I thought it was a joke when these people are clearly supposed to be one animal, but transforming into another. But talking to other people, I'm realizing I just overthought it. So using his amazing bovine powers, Hatsuharu is able to uh, easily lift Yuki's uh, catatonic form and walk him back to the house. Which, uh, they didn't need a cow for that. They had two guys. <laughs> they're all bishis. When they're not fighting, they are weak as reeds. All right. <laughs> Kyo, I wouldn't dare touch Yuki even if his life depended on it. We do get a fun uh, background panel of them explaining how difficult it was to walk with a cow through the center of town. <laughs> because yeah. Toru has to be hanging off of him so that he doesn't transform back in the middle of the city. Just to interject, another thing that really is throwing me is the fact that they gave him the black and white cow spots because, not to trigger anyone, they are sexually linked. So since he's a male uh, yeah. presenting... And male identifying character, he is a bull, and bulls don't have black and white spots to that of that pattern, at least. Jay, not to disagree with you, but I consider myself an expert on cows, and I uh, derive this expertise from the movie Back to the Barnyard, to which I know male cows do have that spot and also have udders. Okay. I mean, he's not wrong, but... I'm just saying, just it's the more that it's referenced that um, Hatsuharo is a cow, I'm like, no. The sexual dimorphism of Arak society. That was a sentence you had to say in your life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go off the level of detail the other animals are drawn in when they transform. I'm going to assume that's just author oversight. <laughs> yeah, that's probable. The dragon is a seahorse for a pun. You wouldn't want that. Just a huge ass dragon. He, he turns into Shenron from DBZ every time he gets hugged by a check. That'd be rad as hell. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Oh, and Hatsuharu, we realize now, now that you're thinking about it, now that you've noticed it, he does have white hair with black roots. Yeah. Is that another thing about the Soma family is their hair is the color of their animal form? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because it, it comes up again with uh, Kagura, right? Because her hair is like brown, like a wild boar. But anyway, this is when we get um, Hitori's backstory. Tragic backstory that I don't know about the rest of y'all, but it made me personally hate the head of the family. Oh my God, I loved that scene because of how uncomfortable it made me. Mm. Oh, it, it is very well written. It is very tragic. It tugs at your heartstrings. It made me tear up. I really just want to take a freaking uh, bat to the head of the head of the family after all of it. So basically, we'd been told earlier that um, Hitori uh, had a woman he was going to marry, but uh, Akito said no. Um, he's blind in his left eye because of that. Akito yeah. said no so forcefully that it blinded Hitori in one eye, yes. And he didn't just say it. Remember, he threw things. Like, he had a temper tantrum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we're revealed that in this flashback before they were giving us a very mundane version of what happened. He flat out tells Toru what actually happened. Yeah, because. No, I think he just flashes it back. He just flashes oh, back. Toru you're right. About this. Yeah, specifically what ended up happening is um, the stuff that seems relevant is Akito is like 
shouting at um uh hitori's fiance i don't need you i don't need you you can't even break the curse and he is like screaming and flailing and like you know could be potentially like hitting uh his fiance hitori tries to hold him back and like uh, Akito smashes Hatori in the face with like a pot or something. I don't I don't think that's on accident because what we also get in that scene is him yelling at the fiance, look at what's happening to him because of you. I think he was never going to actually hurt the fiance. I think because he considers Hitori his property, he's like, I can break him if I want. He mm. is not yours. He is my because a thing we get with Akito, his family is his. He decides what they do. Yeah. They are my family. You do not own them. I own them. And like his speech bubbles are this like lovely, like etched black of screaming. And it's just so cool every time he talks because it's just unnerving. Maybe it's just the scanlation that I was reading. The like paneling and the speech bubbles was very hard to follow sometimes. Because it seemed like it swapped between, you know, the classic manga right to left and then Western left to right. And what the hell is going on? That that was probably just the scanlation. But when we got to that, I was so engrossed because, like Matt said, it is very well paneled. It's very well delineated with the speech bubbles. It draws you in. It kind of makes sense that it's hard to even follow what he's saying. Akito is is screaming and flailing like he's having a temper tantrum because someone tried to take away his toy. I believe it was Jay that said this. Uh, this is a flashback that's happening because Hitori went to go catch Toru, who in her infinite clumsiness was slipping on the snow. And in the process, you know, caused a hug and he transformed and he's the year of the dragon. He turns into a seahorse because pun. It's pretty funny, too, because this is something he's deeply embarrassed about. <laughs> um, and when uh, Shigura immediately wants to tell Toru because he thinks it's hilarious. And he basically says, I will blackmail you to every publishing company in Japan. You will never work again. And he's like, well, I'm going <laughs> to shut up. <laughs> yep. But uh, being turned into a seahorse, he is now an aquatic creature and he needs water to survive. So he passes out very quickly from asphyxiation as Toru is scrambling in the background to get him some water to breathe. And that's the cause of this flashback where we get the we get the exquisitely beautiful scene of Hitori meeting Kana his uh, assistant in the doctor's office who quickly becomes his love interest and his fiance. And admittedly, it is condensed into this one chapter, but it is done in a way that really tugs the heartstrings because it focused. We know Hitori at this point. We've seen him enough that we have an idea of who he is and his perspective and how he sees the world and whatnot. And Kana is so much not like him. It makes sense why it focuses so much on her perspective and how much she fell in love with him and him, her. And it's this beautifully mutual relationship. And then it gets ruined. Akito just takes a takes a flower pot to it and smashes it in the face, quite literally. Kana blames herself for this because it was screamed at her by this very important person. The head of her family. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah, because Kana is a part of the branch 
she's in she's from one of the branches of the soma family i guess you know distant enough that she's part of the outer family though because she's not yeah yeah she's not one of the zodiac having the all-important mysterious elusive head of the family scream that at you it's gonna dig deep into your heart and so she blames herself what happened to the man that she loves and so uh, Hitori uses his mind wipe powers to remove that pain from her. Even on to all the violence that he does, because it's like there's been a lot of like comedic violence from Yuki and Kyo fighting, but like this is very visceral and very real. Like this is just straight up, you know, family on family abuse. Um, this, even- is the, this is the suddenly gravity exists with Gwen Stacy's neck moment. Um, and it's like even on to all the violence that Akito does. I think the worst thing that he does in this entire situation is that he convinces Hattori that um, that Kana would have been happier never having met him. Akito manipulates Hattori into believing that the abuse was his fault mm-hmm. and that he is the one who hurt this woman. Everything that's going wrong is entirely Akito's fault. Mm-hmm. And he blames everyone else. And he's just got such a choke grip on this family that they all unfortunately fall in line and it's to the point that Hitori doesn't even blame Akito he doesn't even feel any hatred or malice towards him but I mean other members of the family Shiguri specifically like they know they don't stand up against it or anything but it's like the family knows that you know it's wrong it's wrong there's nothing they can do about it they're cursed I feel like Hitori probably genuinely doesn't understand the situation he's in but like shigure very obviously does because he's one of the few people who seems like he can at least indirectly stand up to akito mm-hmm. um but like there is something there is something about like the curse means that akito is untouchable that's mm-hmm. that's another thing is when um you hear shigura talk about the curse it seems less and less like he's referring to the fact they turn into animals he seems to think the curse is they're stuck in this family. The whole transforming into an animal thing, we see from Toru that that is very easily explained away. That's sure. the way half of it, honestly. The curse, mm-hmm. as you alluded to, does stem more so from their very crushing family dynamic. At this point, it honestly feels more like an excuse to continue to isolate these people in this very unhealthy family dynamic. A lever that whatever abusive head of the house currently is alive and in power can push on to make sure that everybody stays in line for them. I'm thinking about perhaps the reason why Akito feels threatened by these women or all these outsiders who come into the family and find out about their secret is because they find out that the outer world is not so disgusted or abhorred about their transformation and will be willing to accept them. And therefore, there's no reason for them to stay, as you said, isolated. One hundred percent. I buy that. I buy that. That's a very, very big through line with uh, Yuki in particular. Yuki is constantly genuinely stunned that Toru isn't disgusted by his rat form. She doesn't care. Yeah, because honestly, the way it's portrayed in the manga, apropos of nothing else, if no other aspect of this curse existed, if it was just hugged by a member of the opposite sex turns you into this animal, it's a novelty at worst. Like literally the worst part is you fall out of your clothes. 
potentially it's 68. I mean, let's not. Well, okay. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's the thing. I don't think that's actually a concern of um, Seahorse Guy. He says specifically, if you put me in um, bathwater, that would kill a regular seahorse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He seems fine. So I, I don't think he can actually suffocate in his seahorse form. He just can't move around because he's not in water and isn't currently breathing. One way or another, it is at most an inconvenience at easy at like the least. It is a novelty. You might have to like do some contortion stuff to to do the horizontal tango without transforming. But some people are into that. Yeah, Um, you'd have to avoid any of the fetishists and or crazy scientists who might want to take this into their own hands and find out how this curse, because they might not be so accepting of it being a curse and say, mm. well, there must be some genetic reason. So let's, you know, tear these people apart. And yeah. Well. Oh, man. But uh, so after... Um... So, <laughs> this got heavy. This, so, this episode Fortunately, got that's heavy. the last heavy bit. And actually, we get the, the marathon afterwards, so that's a bit more levity. Um, when Yuki suddenly becomes sick again. Yuki becoming sick is definitely a Yuki, plot device. But. Yuki, beca- Yuki becoming sick is Yuki becomes like funny slash romantic sick. He's not actually in, an, in any meaningful danger. He's got melodrama yeah. cough cough. He, like He's got Victorian fainting lady disease. He has some nebulous, unspecified form of bronchitis that every now and again makes him run short of breath, become gorgeously pale despite his lush red lips, and he falls dramatically onto the nearest couch. You're not wrong. (laughs) Speaking of fan service, uh, let's move into the Valentine's Day episode. (laughs) Because we essentially skip a month. We get New Year's, then at some point they run a marathon in the middle of winter, which characters comment on being weird. And, you know, I mean, most of them run a marathon. A bunch of people decide to play Old Maid with Hanajima in the middle of the street and get colds instead. Oh, Hana, Hana has a great bit where um, Toru is about to start. and She's like, I want us to run together and finish. And she's like, yeah, I believe it. You and me as a team takes one step, falls over. You Chan isn't here. We need to both work twice as hard to make up for her not being here for this marathon. Hana immediately at the starting line is like, I can go no further. You must continue on without me. She doesn't even walk. She just finds a convenient wall to sit on and read and then play cards. She's a hustler. I love Hana. (laughs) She's so amazing. Yeah, I don't know how in on the joke Toru is because she see like she has that typical Toru. Oh, don't strain yourself after Hana's taken one whole step. Oh, I 100% believe Hana's just lying to Toru because she doesn't actually want to run. But then we skip like half a month to get to Valent. No, like a full month, actually, because uh, February 14th, the mm. 13th, because it's on a uh, Saturday that they're at school. The Sunday is actual Valentine's Day. And so naturally, we need a double date. <laughs> yeah. But first, we need uh, all the girls giving chocolates. The and, Valentine's uh, chocolates. And then there's Hannah with her... Uh, um. Uh, trash chocolate because um (laughs) they established that you would think in a manga the prettiest boy would have a shoe locker full of chocolates but what actually happens because women are spiteful cruel creatures like a mockingbird they will take the eggs of the previous recipient throw them in the garbage and replace them with their own 
<laughs> so then, it's only the latest girl puts her chocolate in, and the trash can next to his locker is full of chocolates. Theo also gets some attention. Well, he's a brooding bad boy with a cat aesthetic. Yeah. I think that's boys is, make fun of him for being a cat lover too. The the manga does a good job of showing like Kyo when he differentiating Kyo being funny angry and actually angry angry. Cause like well, when he's at school, he's almost always screaming at somebody, but you kind of deep down he's having a good time with it. Look, all I know is that um in the scanlation that I read, uh the other boys are teasing him, calling him a cat addict. And I I hope to the bottom of my heart that the original Japanese is some pun of is some portmanteau of Neko and Otaku <laughs> calling him a Nekotaku. I don't know if that's actually the case, but I really <laughs> wish it is. But anyway, um, we get established that Kyo is a terrified of Valentine's Day because he knows that Kagura will suddenly remember she's a character in this manga and appear <laughs> out of nowhere. Kicking down every wall between her and her precious cat boy. And um, she essentially just forces him to go on a date. He doesn't want to go alone. And then she's like, well, what if it was a double date? Turning to um, Toru and Yuki. I love the I love the um, uh, her reintroduction where uh, they're leaving the school and uh, Kyo's like, I'll just leave for another four months again. And then you see like this like sparkly panel of a very cutesy Kagura slowly turning around sparkling eyes oh kiyo i missed you and then suddenly she's gone full yandere and he's fleeing in terror we we talked a lot about how um very uncomfortable it was to have an entire chapter of yuki being misgendered can and i know we breezed over kagura's introductory chapter that that was uncomfortable too right that would not fly today for good reason no I mean, we kind of breezed over it because it, it really was just fighting the entire time. The joke is Kagura it, it, beats up Kyo, and that's and that but is hey, you know, not funny. So, so it's cool, right? Yeah, that's that's why I think the curse is more so that Kyo can't win against any of the members of the Zodiac. Well, he can beat Haru. I think but the reason he cannot win in other ways rather than literally, literally being beaten up like. There are other ways she could beat him. <laughs> okay. I think the thing with Kagura is that, because, like, Q never tries to hit back. Because, like, the thing is, like, she's obviously, like, strong enough to burst through walls and whatnot. But, like, that's that's usually played for comedy. She isn't a martial artist. And I feel like if Kyo wanted to physically stop her, he probably could. Because when he fights Haru, he wins relatively easily. Isn't she a martial artist? I thought she was training with him in the mountains for those four. No, months. he was hiding. From no, she. Ah. Yeah, he was hiding from her. He didn't. He had no. Uh, she had no idea where he was. She was very angry about that. In fact. Anyway, we get a really cute scene where they're forced to go on this double date, and essentially Toru is so mystified with the fact that oh. This will be my first date that no one has the heart to say this is a stupid idea and they don't want to do it because <laughs> Yuki and Kyo both think that. Neither uh -huh. of the boys want to be here. <laughs> I don't think Yuki, Yuki doesn't mind on mind being on a date with Toru. And I don't think he even particularly dislikes Kagura. He doesn't want to be anywhere near Kyo. It is every clip show i i don't think clip show is the right word but it's every it's every like montage episode of look how happy these characters are that you've ever seen 
in an anime or in basically anything, actually. It's not exclusive to anime. It's happened in every medium everywhere. We need to establish how happy everybody is so that bad things can happen later. <laughs> Though uh, I am specifically reminded of the episode of Fate Stay Night where Shiro takes Ren and Saber both at the same time out and uh it is a very adorable and very happy episode very abruptly returning to the <laughs> to the tone of fate as everything goes hideously wrong and saber is kidnapped but i'm not about to get into my i'm not about to get into one yeah, of i was about to say because that really on. isn't applicable here at all they actually just have a nice date um <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I guess the only applicable thing is I expected hideous, horrible, tragic things to happen by the end of it. But no, everything. Yeah, is the bad stuff fine. happens Cute. elsewhere, sort of. It's happened because she did not expect to be on a date on Valentine's Day. She has tasked Shigura with going around and delivering her chocolates for her. To which um, Hit Hitori gets some and he's like, oh, she thought about me. And then we get the flashback of him going like, man. I wonder if my wife or my fiance even still thinks of me. And that happened at, that happened at the end of his flashback where uh, kind of walks past in a group of other women. And, and it's like, yeah, no, uh, my my new fiance and I are going to be married soon. Oh, but what about Hitori? Wasn't he so handsome? Yeah, this new guy I'm with can't really measure up to Hitori in terms of looks. But it was just a mayfly feelings I had for. Don't him cheat anyway. on your fiance. I won't. Oh, I would never. What a weird conversation to have directly in the person you're talking to, in front of the person you're talking about. Yeah, what a coincidence that they all happen to cross paths like that. I, I did not understand well, how that was framed. Oh. Complete. She does remember who he is. She doesn't remember their relationship. So she remembers having a crush on him. It's supposed to be that she's so invested in the conversation with her friends that she didn't notice Hattori. But like, it's... It's weird for him to be close enough to hear the entire conversation, but not be noticed by the group of people who know who he is. But anyway, the only import of this is um, uh, Momoji and um, no, it's Momiji. 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 The third Mario brother. <laughs> oh, God, no. He's German. The Wait a minute. Momiji, yeah. Well, no. well, he's a he's a rabbit, so he jumps like. Uh, oh, you're right. White Day. So, for those who are unaware, White Day is the following month. So, Valentine's Day is on February 14th. White Day is on March 14th, where the guys who receive the chocolates from the girls will then have to return the favor. And more often than not, it doesn't always have to be chocolate, it can be some other type of gift. And yeah, that's White because Day. Because the implication with the chocolate is that it's, it can be homemade. So mm -hmm. girls make chocolate, whereas guys just buy a gift. It's very, it's a very complicated, time-intensive, expensive endeavor. Because, yeah, you don't just buy. If you buy, there's a connotation. If you just buy chocolate and give it to a guy, it's seen as you, it, it determines the level of your infatuation. Like, mm. if... Mm -hmm. Say you have just a guy friend who, you know, you're just friends and you're just like, hey, I want you to have something. You might buy him chocolate or whatever and just say, hey, I want you to have this chocolate. But if it's someone you really, really like, you obviously want to be noticed by them. So you're going to go the extra mile and make this 
extravagant handmade chocolate and dress it up in like fancy little boxes and and decorate it to the nines and it's going to be really intimate it's like basically you're you're offering a confession and hoping that they return the favor or return your feelings and the more i'm talking about the more sad and desperate it sounds (laughs) i'm just trying to buy your affections which actually leads us straight into the plot because um I mean, I wasn't going to say anything, but... (laughs) Which actually makes the fact that these girls were throwing these handmade chocolates into the trash all the more, like, vicious and cutthroat. (laughs) But anyway, um, Uh as as Jay alluded to, uh, the cost of the gift is also respective of your feelings of the person, which means when uh, Mamiji uh, says to um, Toru, um, hey, as payment for the chocolates you gave me for Valentine's Day, we should go on a vacation to the family hot spring. Blown away by the level of expense and at first says, I couldn't possibly dream of doing something so expensive. My mom would think less of me. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, oh, no. You have taken the wrong lessons. No, I need to never enjoy things out of loyalty to my mother. That, In all fairness, she does get convinced to go on the trip with basically no argument. Yeah, see, that's the nice thing, because it's like yeah. she's not past that, you know, that very serious moment. But she is improving for her yeah. uh, time with... Uh, I'd argue I still don't think she's worked on it at all. I think what happens is she gets guilted into going (laughs) by someone saying, you'll really be a burden on him now that they've already made all the plans for you. And she's like, oh, you're right. I don't want to like, I don't I think they just played to her weakness rather than she's gotten better. Yeah. And that that can actually hurt more than it can help because I know Mm. they're trying to help her, but it's like. You, you can't do this forever and constantly, you know, make her feel guilty and feel like she she needs. You can't guilt her into dealing with her grief that is causing her to feel guilty about things. It's kind of the opposite of the recurring bit with Yuki and Kyo, where, you know, they're so busy bickering at each other and thinking of their familial obligations that somebody has to come in and say, Hey, did you ever consider how Toru feels about this? And they immediately stop, look at each other, look into the middle distance, turn around, go to Toru, (laughs) but they go to the hot spring. So it's nice. And they meet a real creepy lady who talks the exact same way as a keto. And it was unnerving. (laughs) Yeah, Is this a, is is this a uh kibitsuji mujan situation or <laughs> i i think they just use the creepy speech bubbles for both of them yeah Her, hers is more supposed to be she's like creepy akito's is he's full of rage but we basically get informed that the owner of the the, the matron of the hot spring mm-hmm. is um momoji's guardian and one of several yeah because not his mother any of his parents have we he just has guardians, which he definitely needs them. Like that boy on his own devices. Ugh. Yeah, that's problems. Yeah. But um, we basically get informed that uh, like a lot of the Soma clan, um, this woman is also notoriously sick for <laughs> some reason. Mm-hmm. Reason that we will not go into. Because they all need to be frail and beautiful. She has drama sickness. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there's not a lot of plot at the hot spring in all fairness it really isn't anyway table tennis (laughs) well first we get a great scene of maboji basically just constantly saying like come on let's go take a bath toru yeah you and me and 
Yuki yeah. and um, Kyo are very against this, and Toru is basically like, "You guys are weird. Let's go." <laughs> Reminder: Momoji is a rabbit. rabbit. He he just. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that until I was mid-sentence. <laughs> you got it, eh? I mean, you're not wrong, but... Yeah, because that's the thing. Momiji looks 10, but we learn at the end of this that uh, he isn't actually 10. He is the same age as uh, Hatsuharu, which is a year younger than the main three. Yep, he knows exactly what he's doing, and he is doing it right. Yeah, because uh, they do end up sleeping in the same room. <laughs> before that because that information is revealed when they're leaving the hot spring yes the rooms are split between um kyo and uh yuki share a room and literally one of the thought bubbles is like oh he stole a child it's fine you know oh oh when toru finds out that he is the age he is she blushes for the remainder of the chapter like oh no what did i do (laughs) <laughs> I mean, nothing. We cut away to them, like, legitimately just sleeping. <laughs> That's the best part. It's totally innocent, but Momiji knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, and, and Toru is realizing... Well, the, the big thing is they bathe together. <laughs> she has her mom's portrait, and they're enjoying the bath together. And then uh, the mom walks in and talks about how her son is also a Zodiac animal, the monkey. ...opposed to them being involved with the Soma family, because when she heard that an outsider was going to be involved, she was actually concerned about the safety of her son. But now that she's met her and seen that she's really sensible and sweet, she's like, I, I approve of this. Look, the only thing I know is that we had the scene where uh, Momiji and uh, Toru were in the same room, and I just thought of the Kaguya Sun Lovers War dub with, uh, <laughs> Why am I given such an opportunity to be a scumbag? <laughs> yeah, I just checked it. They shared a bed. Oh, they shared a bed. Yeah, that happened. Even yeah. more so then. Why have I been given such an opportunity to be a scumbag? Hey, he did not ruin it. It was not ruined. See, that, and like that's the thing. The reason why we all still like Momiji is because he didn't ruin it. Um, so it, it's not very clear in the panel itself, but when they show Momiji swimming, he's with a person <laughs> with short hair that I thought must be Toru based on her, but I think it also could equally be uh, Yuki. Yeah, it's I thought- not clear because it's a little... Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a little... And like, that's why I was saying I could be wrong about it because... Um... I had assumed that it was Yuki just because it didn't seem like I feel like if Momiji was in the scene, he'd be talking to Toru was the reason. I I don't see Momiji in the rest of the scene. So I think you must be right. It's Mm. not very clear. But anyway, table tennis is the real heat of this. Yeah, we get a great scene of another one of the heated battles between men where uh, Kyo is is losing every single round because he just smashes the ping pong ball as hard as he possibly can and does not bounce it like he's supposed to. Uh, and uh, another another great moment. Toru also tried yeah. to play. It doesn't go well. It, it goes so hilariously poorly that Yuki must excuse himself. Because he's too busy giggling. The prince, with his icy and distant heart, finally laughs. Do not. She's so bad. She's so seriously. It's like it's Prince of Tennis up in here. She's about to hit it and just whoop. Totally miss. <laughs> so uh, as Yuki excuses himself outside to laugh and she follows, he is laughing in her face. 
and then goes, oh, by the way, I forgot to give you your white tape present. Kazuki just kind of gets away with being a dick. Which is hilarious because that means he brought this white day present into the bath so that he put it in his robe that he put on after bathing. He's just been carrying around this gift waiting for when they're alone. And it is a hair ribbon that makes her look like a princess for this lonely prince. Is literally the dialogue, and I was like, "Oh, oh, the the female fan service on display right here," because that is a full two panel spread of him gazing down into her eyes. Yep, yep. that that had ten year old me. I'm not gonna lie. He then sniffs her hair. Like this is multiple pages of this scene. I mean, our expert and target demo uh, is apparently approving, so I guess it's uh. It no, it's, it's very well made. I can't argue that. Like, <laughs> Toru goes to bed with Momochi. They share a futon, which I have confirmed is what happened. Yes, it does indeed happen. And the very next day, it is revealed by everyone that uh, Momoji is actually the age he is, which is a year younger than Toru. And she spends three pages freaking out. And... Uh, <laughs> The very last panel I thought was pretty funny because it's a gag, but it is the last panel we read. It is, um, uh, Shogir, I can't remember this guy's name. Shigure? 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 Shigure. Shigure. Sakura from Persona 5? You've said it wrong so many times now, I didn't catch which one was right. Shigure. Sugar, Sugar Ray. Okay. Sugar Ray Leonard. Sugar Ray Johnson. <laughs> Every morning there is a halo hanging from the corner of Taurus Four Post Med. I mean, oh, that's not. It's about a guy who steals some girl's halo to get away with things. That's that fits. Um, so Sugar Ray, uh, he got her a maid outfit. <laughs> and then Harry was sitting there. Haru is sitting there. Just don't get arrested, okay? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's everyone. Really thought, yep. I'm seriously concerned, guys. We don't know what was the chicken or the egg. Sugar Eye. Um, basically, every time he has like flirtatious lines about uh, Toru, it's always in the background panels as a joke. Mm-hmm. It's there for fan service. Like it's like, yeah. oh, what if I like older men? There you go. That's what it's for. Yeah, this brings us to the end of our reading. Uh, let's see. Let's get into our discussion. Favorite character. Well, I've said it a bunch, and Jake has unfortunately put me on full blast. Keo is my favorite character. I love that boy. <laughs> he is very angry, and he is Kate. Shigure is a close second. I know I liked him a lot when I first read the manga. Uh, on this second reading later in life, I don't like him as much but i still find him amusing uh favorite character uh hands down easily by far hanajima like come on she is so hilarious because like like all of her jokes are delivered just so deadpan and you don't know because it's like we're living this is a supernatural story and like we see her zap people So, like, she has these powers. It's a thing. She has some really great scenes where she actually does, like, you know, like, she's one of the most emotionally aware characters as well. Joking about Kyo and Sam having a bunch of strange similarities, but, like, he's also a fantastic character. Um, And honestly, I love Toru. Um, 
I used to like when I first experienced Fruits Basket, I loved her for being the cinnamon roll that she is. But honestly, having read it more closely this time, she's a she's a deeper character than I gave her credit for, which I almost feel bad about not noticing because that's sort of the point, isn't it? <laughs> mm. well, True. In all fairness, True. does the anime play that down? See, I, I really want to rewatch the anime to check that. Um, the, the thing about the differences between the two, like fundamentally, the big difference is all of the serious scenes and all of the jokes that are in the manga are also in the anime, but they also add more jokes. And I feel that that balances the serious scenes so they don't drag or feel melodramatic, which is the reason why I lean towards it. So I really do wonder if they actually just straight up downplayed Toru's complexity. Or if I just didn't notice it because I was too busy having fun with it. Hmm. But I, regardless, Toru is definitely one of my favorite characters in general. Uh, Jay, who is your favorite character G. in this vast cast? Momiji. Hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're like the little German boys. Yes. <laughs> please don't, please don't keep that. Uh, <laughs> I realized after saying it, we should probably cut that. <laughs> you got it, guys. Yeah, I, I just like his energy and the fact that, you know, he just, he knows what he wants and goes after it. And at first I found him very annoying, but then I kind of like, I guess in the in the scope of things with how sad and dour everything kind of was, I kind of appreciated his energy. And believe me, I know, I know how dark things get in later on, but... I appreciate his energy, at least at the outset and in the chapters that we read initially. Um, I would have to second that with I really like Shigure. Um, and just because of how how he presents the perspective that he kind of sees what's going on um, kind of behind the scenes as well as what's going on through the day-to-day -day life. And yes, I know that can be, it's, it is manipulative and kind of, he does allude to wanting to serve his um, ulterior motives, but just being able to have that perspective, I guess, I'm kind of looking for someone to kind of, I guess, make sense of the situation, be uh, somewhat of a voice of reason. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't really put my, put my finger on it, perhaps, but... Um, in the chapters that we read, I really like Shigure. He feels weirdly trustworthy. Like, despite, oh, yeah. despite everything, he's always there in the background, kind of serving, like you said, as the voice of reason, like the rock against all the madness that is. But he also acknowledges story. the madness. Like, mm -hmm. I got the sense that he's fully aware of how dysfunctional their family is. He... Mm -hmm sees how it could be. I mean, that had to be a motivating factor for why he yeah. chose to leave it, you know? Why he chose to leave and become king of the forest perverts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, speaking to that duality, one of the sort of fun things, because I think we've all sort of, like, mentioned different aspects of Shigure, like, different disparate aspects. He has a serious mode where he is an emotional bedrock for the characters. So you get attached to him and you understand that the silly stuff is, you know, funny and a joke. And then he's also funny. You know, the, the duality of his character is mm -hmm. uh, intriguing. 
All right, uh, Matt, your favorite so, character. Until Jay mentioned it, I, I wasn't going to say him, but Momiji, actually, um, I gotta say, I do have a soft spot for the character who knows they're in a harem manga and realizes the way you win a harem manga is just going on the offensive because everyone is too busy like playing it safe on the sidelines. He just jumps in. It's just like, hey, yeah, you want to hang out? Cool. Yep. Like, Dive in. <laughs> like, there is value to the character who's just like, these people are playing a game that isn't going anywhere. Why not just take a step? <laughs> but mm -hmm. um, so the character I was going to mention before I had that uh, realization, because uh, um, probably not a popular choice amongst you guys, uh, Akito, because uh, when I was reading this, the most I felt any emotion was the scenes he was in, because mm. he owned the stage whenever he's there he makes you not like him he makes you have like a visceral unease when he's on the page and just to have that feeling in me is something like when i'm reading a manga something makes me feel that uneasy that is hard it's a sign of, it's a sign of some it's a sign of serious quality mm -hmm. yeah that's a um I gotta agree. Spectacular antagonist yeah uh favorite character doesn't have to be someone that you like because akito he he is a horrible, horrible person, and he's very well written insofar as that. So I yeah. mean, yeah. How many times during our favorite uh, character for Chainsaw Man have I said Makima so far? <laughs> uh huh. Have all of us said Makima? <laughs> but um, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, of of those two, I, I'd say those are my favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, getting into the whole zodiac animal theme that's going on here. Uh, we did, we talked a bit about it in the general part of the episode, but getting more specifically, uh, how the personalities correspond with the Zodiac animals. We know that uh, Matt had some very logical conclusions on how they corresponded. It, that it's okay, Sam. You can say wrong. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well it get, it does get into the whole uh this manga kind of, it, it's almost a meta way of saying that this manga collapses under uh logical scrutiny yeah but uh i did like i said before i do really like how it kind of blends the mythology aspect of it with you know the whole nature versus nurture debate on how much how much your family line impacts who you are how much the environment you're raised in impacts who you are and then draping this whole big legend that is that is so very powerfully driven home into the minds of everybody who's in the know mm -hmm. yeah it, it layers all of that together in a way that's really fascinating and i want to know more about and it, it's great because the scene that like really cements like how this whole thought process is, is with Hatsuharu and how he hates Yuki because he's the rat. He's the smart, cunning one who tricked the ox, that stupid, mm -hmm. dumb ox. And like his family treats him like he's an idiot. And he goes mm -hmm. through life thinking like, I must be worthless. Yuki tricked like he blames Yuki for a fairy tale essentially mm -hmm. until one time he just comes up to yuki's like you know i've always hated you right and then yuki because everyone calls me first, dumb it was and the then, first time they ever spoke yeah and then yuki just goes are you dumb and it was the first time someone ever thought to ask him rather than just assume because he's the ox mm -hmm. and he's like wait no i'm not dumb oh my god i think i'm in love <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> melodrama but <laughs> 
Hey, it's, it, if if you come into Fruits Basket and not expecting melodrama, you have been horribly <laughs> misled, my friend. If, you, if you've waited through all the melodrama to get here, I think you. <laughs> uh, Jay, what's your take? About. About the whole uh, Zodiac animal cor- uh, personality correspondence thing. Or so. I guess I found it really interesting. I, I I haven't really like analyzed it, I guess, for how they kind of line up with their Zodiac, because I'm not, to be honest, not too familiar with the Zodiac and their specific personality traits. Um, I had to say that my favorite um, from that aspect, really interesting, were the dual personality um, Zodiac members, so Kagura mm-hmm. and... Um, Haru. Um, so I'd have to say those are my favorites. I really found it interesting that there were so many, or there appear to be so many Zodiac members that seem to have that inner duality that kind of, I guess, through their interactions with other Zodiac members really become prevalent. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, yeah, I guess that's part of the Zodiac is that each of the the animals have like positive traits associated to them and negative traits. They have uh, black side and Imagine white side kind of comes because you know i don't know if you kind of tie in with like oh you should try to be with someone of this sign versus this sign because i'm guessing like ones they can kind of trigger each other either positive or negatively like you don't want to have two explosive signs which is just like they're constantly fighting and combative and just like why would you ever put that on someone so you want somebody who creates that balance and kind of doesn't result in a very explosive or, or tense interaction mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting i'm just not that up to speed with you know in depth how their yeah. personalities like i can only speak about how their personalities really are in the series or how they present themselves but yeah yeah um jake i am kind of surprised i have not heard more uh analysis on this particular aspect of the story from you up until now well yeah actually honestly part of it was the fact that it was one of our discussion questions one of the things that i um and i've I've sort of mentioned a little bit um that uh yuki's character development and what we read was something i found really interesting because one of the things that he mentions to toru um, is that, you know, Toru talks about how nice Yuki is all the time, and Yuki says, oh, I'm, I'm only performing niceness to get people to like me. In the beginning of the story, and obviously before uh, Yuki and Toru really meet each other, I believe that. Like, that's normally supposed to be something that, like, no, the character's ultimately good inside. Yuki's kind of an awful person. He plays his part. Like, even even when no one's watching, he plays that part. Um, and the fact that like there was there was a little um, like gag page of um, uh, Yuki asking Kyo, why didn't you just throw the entrance exam if you didn't want to go to the same school as me? And Kyo's like, why didn't I think of that? Yuki's response is because you're stupid. No, it's because he's honest. You're duplicitous. And it's like. How much of Yuki is him performing the rat? Because he is at least a little bit sneaky. He's a trickster, yeah. you know, and and sort of going into the nature versus nurture stuff that Sam was mentioning. Um, you can see that 
some of it is the curse actively changing their personalities, because I don't think Kyo would be nearly as angry as he is if he wasn't cursed with the spirit of the cat. So some of it's the spirit. Some of it is what people expect of them. But they do also have some elements. And, you know, it, it is very much the case where I think in some cases, some of Matt guessing the wrong animal is when it comes to something like the Zodiac or um, uh, fortune telling or stuff like that. In a lot of cases, it's vague enough to push you into believing what you want to believe. And that's a really big problem with this family. Everyone expects Kyo to be a screw-up because he's the cat. Everyone expects Yuki to be perfect because he's the rat. Everyone expects Haru to be dumb because he's the ox. And, it, like, Haru is not exactly the smartest individual, and Yuki is genuinely good at a lot of things. But that becomes everything they are to these people, and that affects how they act. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that the story, especially now that I'm looking at it more closely, does a really good job of leaving the breadcrumbs for you to find where the line between those three sections of the effect on their personality actually lie. Yeah. It is it is shockingly deep and fascinating in that regard. (laughs) Yeah, Fruit, uh, Fruits Basket is is funny, silly, uh, reverse harem until it gets really, really deep out of nowhere and you don't even realize that it got deep for a second there. And you know what? I vibe with that. I appreciate that in a story. I like when a story friggin' draws me in with like, oh yeah, this is nice and easy, light reading, popcorn material, blah, 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 blah. And now you will think very hard about everything in your life. <laughs> um, I genuinely can't remember. Matt, did you have a, uh, a take in this topic? I did. I talked about uh, Hatsuhara, how that was a really right. nice scene. My, uh, I, I completely fucking blanked. <laughs> Okay. I waxed poetic for a while, so. <laughs> yes. Uh, and now perhaps the most important topic in a discussion of the Zodiac-based manga, what is your Zodiac animal? We're all roughly the same age. This might not be very diverse or interesting, but... Yeah, uh, I think I'm I the only odd one out. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. It doesn't necessarily have... Because you also have a Zodiac animal based on your month. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I didn't know that. You do. Yep. It's, yeah. uh, it's called a minor. Or no, no, that's the uh, arcana. It's a secondary or something. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Uh, February 93. So uh, Aquarius Rooster, I am the watercock. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> okay. Oh, I mean, do you vibe with the watercock, Samuel? <laughs> Do you feel that matches your personality in a definitive way? You know what? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to leave in whatever that sound in your background was, Matt. <laughs> that <just> dang noise. <laughs> that was me dropping the thing I was holding because... Uh... <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so who's next? um I'll, I'll go uh matt here uh so monkey is mine and i've always vibed with monkey i've always thought that was a pretty appropriate one for me mm-hmm. i don't i don't yeah. have any complaints i'm also <laughs> a monkey and i've always vibed with that sign 
So, yeah. So actually, uh, we have three different ones because uh, I am goat. Oh, the ram. Yeah, Man, uh, looking at this uh, cheat sheet for Zodiac animals, that vibes well with you, Jacob. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that does actually kind of go because um, uh, that does kind of go into the idea of um, uh, stuff like the Zodiac being very broad, because I was looking over the cheat sheet, too. And um, just because uh, Sam was talking about his sign, I look at um, the negatives for Rooster and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. Wait, no, that's the wrong sign. <laughs> <laughs> Once Actually, again, yeah, those uh, those negatives don't vibe with Sam at all. Yeah. Once again, the universe uh, subtly proving that Jake and I are secret brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't shock me. I think I'm also, yeah, I, I'm a goat and a Capricorn. Like, the universe really wants me to be an ungulate. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have those creepy eyes. Oh, God. My family did raise, raise uh, deer at one point, so. Mm-hmm. There you go. All right. And uh, the, the ultimate question of all of our episodes, would you continue reading? Uh... I definitely would. I would give this about the same endorsement that I gave Fire Force in that episode, which is I won't seek it out. But if I'm ever feeling it, if I'm ever thinking, you know what, I could use a bit of this in my life, I will absolutely uh, continue to read Fruits Basket. How about you, Matt? OK, um, so. I don't think I would read this on my own. Um, I definitely found a lot of enjoyment for it. And if I were to pick uh, a shoujo of ours that we've read to delve more into, I would definitely pick this over more of Next Life. Um, this felt like this had substance to it that I really enjoyed, whereas Next Life was definitely a more like casual popcorn read. Mm hmm. Um, and I, I'm definitely more intrigued by the story of this and where this will go. Because this is definitely more of like a long fear. <laughs> it, it could go anywhere. You're right. As opposed to Villadess, which literally can go nowhere by its, its nature. It's done. <laughs> it's done and yet nothing still happened. Uh, <laughs> which in all fairness, I had a lot of times where I was reading this and I'm like, wow, nothing's really happening. This is a lot of shoujo scenes. But at least things happened. Yeah. That I can definitively say. And Akito is really cool and I want to see more of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I will say this it, to compare it to Villainess, as Matt has said, this manga had a whole lot of the slice of life, not really shaking up the status quo episodes, yet always somehow managed to slip in just enough characterization building of various members of the cast to make it feel like, oh, yeah, there is something happening. It was a good formula. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think I know the answer for the next two people, but uh, Jay, would you continue like, reading? Um, it was very nostalgic for me, and I really um, enjoyed what I remember of the anime. I did, as I mentioned before, did get further in the anime than we read in the manga. Um, so I am looking forward to, and I am aware of how the manga turns if it hasn't been alluded to already and I'm really looking forward to dive more into that. And it's definitely one that I'm looking forward to kind of picking apart because 
you know, with a more mature mind, there are little tidbits there that perhaps I wouldn't have mm. picked up when I was younger that now are like glaring. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really deep. You really can see deep. how red the red flags are. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. When you're looking back at the past through rose colored, uh, through rose colored glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. <laughs> That was deep, Matt. I'll cut out your flub. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Jacob, by the way. Um, yeah, actually, it might be a bit of a surprise. I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't continue reading if it wasn't for the podcast. I'd be happy to do more for the podcast, but Fruits Basket, at least the manga is something I kind of have to pull myself into. I didn't mention it, but when I reread what we were reading, chapter 16 reminded me why I dropped off of it. Because, like, it's like Shigure and um, Hattori talking about, like, they're they're talking about a bunch of stuff that hasn't materialized. And, like, it, it has a lot to do with the fact that I started with the anime, which is far funnier and far lighter. And I think that Fruits Basket, when it balances when it has more of a comedy to balance out the melodrama, the melodrama feels less feels more like drama as opposed to melodrama. Um, and they're like, they'll just be chapters that are just like people talking about how dark the situation is and nothing's materialized. I like, I really like fruits basket. I adore the characters so much. Um, but like back in the day, the anime gave me my fix of that. Um, so I would de like, you know, I hope that it pays off like the um, all the darkness that it's setting up. But um, it's not really what I originally came to Fruits Basket for. So if it wasn't for the podcast, eh, I usually don't um, return to the manga. Yeah, it, it does have a lot of those. Um, you see them a lot where it's uh, two characters who are in the know about something. Talk about what a deep, dark secret is there is. They reveal nothing in this, so it's literally just reminding the audience there is something further. So please keep reading. Please keep the readership numbers up. Make I'm not sure. going to give you anything, but please keep reading. Make sure that she doesn't learn about that. What is that? Of course, I would never tell her about that. It is in. It is very imperative that that is not revealed. <laughs> also... Could we have like more scenes of Yuki taking his shirt off? <laughs> Wait, no, I'm using the inside voice outside. Oh, no. <laughs> well, speak, speaking of not revealing deep, dark secrets next week, we are uh, diving into another manga that I have had recommended but have not gotten into. So I'm excited. It's Spy X Family. Yeah, I'm really excited about this. I know very little about it, but I hear it's. It is the most popular manga in Shonen Jump that is probably never going to get an anime is how I've had it described to me. So huh. it is right on that level of really good. Is it going to get an anime? Probably not. <laughs> We're reading chapters one through 17. So make sure to read along with us and follow our shit posting on Twitter at over. Manga cast and leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all next Thursday. Later. Night, Night everyone. Dang it, me and Jake said the same thing. <laughs>